Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. Manny Aurora, the Aurora Law Firm, or as many of you now know him as Mad Dog Manny Aurora, when he stops into the Golden Scissors studio, he is the best when it comes to criminal law. If you got any troubles and you need somebody, reach out to the Aurora Law Firm. TheAuroraLawFirm.com, all right? Located in Atlanta, Georgia, but practices nationwide. Now, if you got a question for Manny when he pops into the Golden Scissor Studio, you can call our hotline at 404-369-3825 or shoot us a message from our website, PodcastTheBS.com. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs an ear, and that's why Dr. David Markwell and Ridgeline Counseling are the best at what they do. Ten different therapists who work with Dr. David Markwell at Ridgeline Counseling. If you're in the Georgia area, East Cobb, Marietta, near the Square in McKaysville, right outside of Blue Ridge. And they assist with a wide variety of behavioral health issues like anxiety, depression, relationship issues, parenting issues, trauma, substance use issues, etc., offering virtual sessions if you can't get to the georgia stops the website markwelltherapy.com again markwelltherapy.com it's time ladies and gentlemen After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate, dude. <laughs> Sit back, enjoy. Here is the podcast that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. Are a very particular set of skills. You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. <laughs> and by God, this is the BS. Hi, there it is, the BS. Thanks for being here. My name's Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors Studio, beautiful Roswell, Georgia, all sponsored by Watkins Law Firm. That would be WatkinsLawFirm.LLC. LLC is the daughter. Trial and litigation attorneys, personal injury, wrongful death, contracts, transactions, tenant disputes, landlord disputes, general civil litigation. You call Tyler Watkins. Watkins Law Firm. Six, uh, no, I'm sorry, 770-648-4009. And that's all I got to say about that. Nader Tater Vader's. Still in Iowa. <laughs> like, don't think you're ever going home. I really, I, I'm now, I'm convinced. Uh, every show that we record, I uh, every the next time, I'm like, he's going to be in Mexico. And you're still not in Mexico. So, you must be enjoying Iowa. Yeah, the weather's really nice. Yeah. Going back soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what you keep saying. I don't know if I believe it or not. Uh, there's Brandon Thrasher in the Zelensky studios in Noonan, Georgia. Hello, Brandon Thrasher. Hey, hello. So I see, uh, I got a new hat. Well, it's actually not new. I just washed it. Well, that, oh, okay. I was going to say, well, that's what you do when you have a thriving business like Thrasher services. You buy new hats, right? But you now, wash the old ones. Yeah, or you just wash the old ones. Who told you that was a good idea? What? Wearing wash that. that? No, just wearing it. <laughs> oh. Nah, I just kind of picked it up one day. Yeah, you said, just kind of stuck with it. Nobody said to you, "Not your look, or not your thing, or should not do that, or you look like an idiot." Now, nah, usually people say, "I like the hat." They're like, "That's a cool hat." Well, that's I what I was you. about to say. So I like the hat. I don't know if anybody would say that to you. I'd punch him in the face because I like the hat. That's what I was about to say. 
Yeah, it's a nice hat. Yeah, it's, it's complimentary nice. to everything. It, it Wear does. anything with it. And it's it's such an earthy tone that you really can't clash with any color. Uh, the beautiful, vivacious, extremely talented, joining us in the Golden Scissors studio once again. It is Nikki D. Hello, Nikki. Good morning. And mm. let me just add that girls really dig Brandon. I know you don't think they do, but several of them have come up to me asking about Brandon. No, I, 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 yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you. I, I just give him a hard time for the sake of giving him a hard time. <laughs> I've had plenty of guys come up to me and dig Brandon. <laughs> And I know you might not think that, but they're like, you know, are you sure? And I'm like, I don't know. Oh. And they go, should I give it a shot? And I'm like, do what you got to do. I did have one guy, but the rest were girls. Yeah. Or we think they were all girls. Remember that one girl? She had the hair and the thing and the, she's standing up when she was doing the. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brandon left that. with her. Remember? No. She's like. Left texting us he's like so weird man she's such a deep voice and an adam's apple (laughs) i don't know what to do with it um all right so uh before i tell you what my uh, future plans are as far as my life goes um because uh, i've now mapped it out Uh, my wife and i came up with the whole game plan uh the other night at, at dinner at a mexican restaurant no we're not moving to mexico uh, but we, we've mapped out our whole plan. But before I do that, the new Cobra Kai trailer uh, has been released. I believe it's season five. Has everybody seen the new Cobra Kai trailer for the next season? No. No, no, no. No. Guys, no. no. Not, not into it or what? Oh, no, I do like it. I just didn't know there was a trailer out. Yeah. It comes out soon, doesn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, September. Yeah, yeah. This September it comes out. Uh, so the, the, it's, you know, I'm sure it's going to be great. You know, every season's been great so far. The trailer doesn't, like, it doesn't doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies as the other trailers have given you. Uh, you know, where it's like a new character is being introduced from the past and that kind of thing. So, uh, Mike Barnes, right, is, is the bad guy. He's the Johnny in the third Karate Kid. His real name is, uh, I think it's Steve... Canon, Canon, something like that. And he, I personally thought Karate Kid 3 is extremely underrated. You know, I even said this to Robin Lively when she was on, on the show. Uh, she was my favorite love interest of any Karate Kid. And she wasn't even really a love interest because they had to scale that back because in real life she was young. And Ralph Macchio was old. Mm. You know, in Karate Kid 3, he was like 28. And she was 16. Oh. Yeah, so that's why they had to make it more of a friend type of thing. I always wondered that. I never thought about it. And so, uh, I, I, but I was always attracted to her, and I was more around her age. You know, so and I just thought she was beautiful. And she was bubbly and giggly, like, you know, she just want to hang out with her. Uh, but the bad guy, Mike Barnes, was the worst bad guy. He was such a dick. Like, he was the perfect dick bad guy. Worse than Johnny ever was. Because you kind of were compassionate a little bit towards Johnny. And now with the Cobra Kai stuff, you really are compassionate towards Johnny because they flipped it and made you feel sorry for him. So anyway, um, it doesn't say Robin Lively is in the fifth season. But... Uh, she kind of alluded to it when she was on with me, right? Mm. That she's going to be on. And, uh, but it is com. Everybody knows that Mike Barnes is going to be on season five. 
you know, the whole point of it is the Cobra Kai has now gone na- uh, global, nationwide, and Terry Silver is running it because he's put John Kreese, uh he's kicked him out. And John Kreese is they show you at the end of the trailer, he's in jail. He's been in jail, beating people up. And so uh, Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi-Do uh, Karate has been closed down, and Johnny's driving for Uber now. Okay, so that's like the synopsis for for season five of Cobra Kai. And it's funny, you know, the Johnny driving the Uber thing, he can't handle it. He's yelling at kids. He's got this painted up car, and it's it's funny. And so uh, then they show that they get the Cobra Kai's back, and, and they're, and they're going to go after, I mean, they get the uh, Miyagi-Do uh, dojo's back, and they're going to go after Cobra Kai. Um, and they introduce this Asian woman who's a bad guy, girl, but they don't show Robin Lively, and they don't show Mike Barnes. And Mike Barnes is definitely a part of season five, right, of Cobra Kai. So I don't know how he gets introduced, because he was, uh, I don't think he had anything. Terry Silver was, Terry Silver in Karate Kid 3? Yes. He was? He was. Okay, so he was Terry Silver's boy. Okay. Okay, so that's why he's going to come in. Anyway. I'm telling you all this, one, because I know there's a lot of Cobra Kai fans, and it's going to be fun and exciting and great to watch. But I reached out to Sean. The, can, can somebody verify his name? Is it Sean Cannon? K-A-N-A-N. Cannon. Is it, is it Cannon? No, no, that's just that little, no. it looks like that. Okay, so you, but that is the proper name, right? That is the way you spell his name, K-A-N-A-N? Yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. So I reach out to him just on a whim thinking you know maybe he'll before he gets too busy maybe i can get him on the show he responds to me almost immediately okay wow yeah i'm going i know that's what i'm thinking i'm like <laughs> all right well he probably doesn't have a lot going on <laughs> well that well Nate, uh, and I, I agree and that that's what i was hoping for he did not have a lot going on so uh in that case that we'd be able to get him on right you know take what right. we can get even we've got great guests don't get me wrong but this would be cool let me read you the message he sends me <laughs> jason thank you i'm flattered as you can imagine this is a pretty crazy time for me i'm getting dozens of requests for podcasts and interviews i wish i could do them all but it's simply not realistic what am I asking in return for my appearance on a podcast is the purchase of 20 copies of my book, Way of the Cobra. Normally, they are $50 a piece autographed, but I will cut that price in half. You can use them for your fans and promote my parents on the show. Additionally, I will make you a video promo to support my parents on the show and promote it through my social, which is now in excess of 250,000 followers. If this works for you, I will send a PayPal invoice and we can select a date. Wishing you much. I, is that real? Is that a, it sounds like a scam. Want you to buy 20 books? Huh? And he said he wants you to buy 20 books and support his parents? Yeah, yeah. I don't even understand what like the parents have to do. I, I get the book. You know, I don't think I've ever in my years in this business have. Like I've had, so I've had guests want me to pay them before, and I've never paid for a guest. I, I just, I, I just won't do it. I mean, maybe they're like I, I've donated to charities, you know, for some guests that I'll do. You know, if I want the guest bad enough or <clears throat> it's topical, and they're like, "Hey, I just want you to donate to this charity or this GoFundMe," I'll do that without a doubt. Um, 
But when they ask you to pay them to promote something for them, I find that absurd. I find that extremely narcissistic. You know, like when you go to these conventions and they charge you for an autograph, as much as I find it ridiculous with some of the prices they charge these people for autographs, I kind of get it. You're working. You know, it's it's a little and awkward and embarrassing when you go to these places and they charge you for the autographs and you're like, and then you hand them like $20 or $50, like the wrestler, the movie, the wrestler, you know, when they're all in like the, the VW hall or whatever it is. And you know, he's got the fanny pack on. He's like, yeah, it'll be 10 bucks. You know, he has to give him change. And you know, this is a guy that you look up to and you came all the way just in there. You got to give him money just to meet him. I don't know. It just kind of seems kind of lowbrow. Um, so, is this real, do you think? Or or did I mess up and send it to the wrong person? Because the account that I sent it to was, was verified. Yeah, no, I think it's real. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I, I remember getting requests from guests to, to be paid, which is funny, though, because it should be, like, big-name celebrities, which I get because, like, you're – you're taking up their time, you know, they, somebody like Gavin Rosdale or something doesn't have a, probably a lot of time to just to talk to anybody. So that would make more sense. But it's usually the guy that like we would find from a news story that like saved a baby from a Jaguar or something. And he's like, yeah, you know, so you, any compensation for this? Like, who the fuck are you, dude? Like, that was like the no name guy that wants to get paid. But I guess in this situation, at least, you know, we're getting something out of it. If we did do it, you know, we're, we have something tangible for the, the transaction. Well, I did the math and, you know, 50 books or 20 books at $50 a piece would be a thousand dollars. Right. So, but if he's cut, he said 50% off, right? Yeah. But he's going to cut it in half. So, it's $500 for 20 books of The Way of the Cobra from the bad guy from Karate Kid 3. And we get him on, and we, some, we do something with his parents, too. I don't know what we do with his parents, <laughs> but his parents are really involved in this interview. Uh, like they were mentioned twice in this response. So I don't know what the parents do or why they're involved so much, but they're involved. And then we get, I guess like a cameo, right? A video from him, which is, that's a good extra to put it on there. You know, then you go, so this is, this is what I'm worried about. Like, okay, let's just say I followed through with it and he comes and he comes on. Cause I almost was like, huh, now you've got my interest. Like, why are you charging me this? I think I want to pay it just to see why, but I want to ask him why, you know, like, cause I, I, he's, you know, with all due respect, he's not the biggest of stars, you know, now it's exciting that he's going to be in the upcoming Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is very hot, um, but he's not even in the trailer. Like they didn't even put him in the trailer. So is he hurting for money? what has he been doing since Karate Kid 3? I don't think he's been acting much, you know? So I, I just... I think... Is he hurting for cash? What's what's wrong with his parents? Why are they involved? Either he's getting the money and he's donating some of it to his parents. Maybe that's what he means. Or the, the best thing I've heard about the whole sentence is that he will promote you on social media. On yeah. his social media. Yeah. So that could make people be like, oh, who's Bailey? What's the BS? They might come look at it. But that's it. Uh, well, and, and that's that's another good point on his behalf because a lot of anybody, not just celebrities, but even if you're a social celebrity, if you've got a, a 
you know, 250,000 followers, a lot of followers, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, if you're going to promote something, you want to get compensated for it without a doubt. Um, it looks like his big thing is bold and the beautiful. Like he's still on that. He's been on it since like 2000 (laughs) on and off. Oh, really? Oh yeah. He was on the bold and beautiful. (laughs) No, he still is. But I'm yeah, saying not, I knew I, I saw him do something else. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah 2000, 2005. Then he was on 2012, 2014 to 2017, and then 2021 to now. Wow. So, yeah, he's Deacon Sharp. <laughs> the bald and the beautiful. De- bold and the beautiful. It's a soap opera. Oh, right? soap opera. Yeah, the one you're thinking of is on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> so my balls are beautiful. Yeah, that's a different one. <laughs> talk, to your, uh, talk to your mom or your grandmother. They'll call them stories. Yep. They'd say, I gotta get it. Can't leave until one o'clock. Gotta watch my stories. That's what they would say. That was oh, he's also on Young and the Restless. Well, he was bold and beautiful, but also he was young and restless. <laughs> Wait, are the, those are two different shows, right? They are. Like they they are. are. Yeah. Okay, he plays the same guy mm. in same character, Deacon Sharp. Who's yeah. this Deacon guy getting around all the fucking stories? <laughs> Deacon Sharp's a story whore. (laughs) Deacon Sharp, why are you here on Young and the Restless? I thought I saw you on Bold and the Beautiful. Shut your mouth, Donna DeMarco. I don't need your lip right now. I'll go back to the Young and the Restless because you're all old and pitiful. No, we're bold and beautiful. (laughs) Then some guy from another soap opera walks in and goes, Oh, so these are the days of your lives. You know, and then everything da 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 changes. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, what do you guys think? Five hundred bucks for uh, Mike Barnes? Nah. What, what are you gonna do with all these books nah. if you do? Are they just gonna stack them on the back wall? Have a Mike Barnes book wall? Yes, for the video element of this podcast. Actually, I'm just gonna cover up everything that I have behind Nikki D right now. We're just going to have way of the Cobra books just stacked. Uh, no, I mean, we, we do giveaways, <clears throat> you know, I mean, if that, uh, if that, if that doesn't get you to subscribe, I don't know what would. Yeah. <laughs> Got this Cobra cat book for you. By the way, four ninety nine to get you all this stuff. But dude, way of the Cobra. They only have 19 left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hurry up first come first serve <laughs> so uh so i don't know i mean it was, it was kind of yeah, like, i mean it's like uh, if maybe if he was a bigger dude but i mean what do we get next than the referee from karate kid 2 i mean <laughs> like, does anybody oh, really care about mike barnes <laughs> oh actually if you had if the rep i would i would tell i'd pay the 500 dollars for the referee from the first one he was actually i think he's still alive too he um <clears throat> he's actually a a like I think a big deal in, in martial arts. Uh if memory serves. I looked him up one time for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> Just curious about the, the karate kid ref. <laughs> well, I think I, I think I did it because <clears throat> like when the one like the second uh, Cobra Kai came out and they're doing the flashbacks to the Hill Valley tournament and they showed a picture of him. And I was like, God, I wonder. I'd like the useless facts. Like, I'll I'll do that with a lot of movies. Like, I wonder what that guy's doing now. You know, so I'll go and I'll sit down and I'll research referee from Karate Kid. And it pops right up. You know, it's the guy with the mustache. And then it tells you all about it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm reading about him. His name is Pat E. Johnson. (laughs) He's a ninth degree black belt. And at the Tang So Do, 
he's the president of the National Tank Sodo Congress, oh. which was created by Chuck Norris in 1973. Some of his notable students are Steve McQueen, Bob Barker, and William Zabka. Wow. Is he still alive? Yeah, he's 83. He lives in that. Well, no, he's born in Niagara. I don't, I don't know where he is now. See, now that's a guy that's interesting, right? I would pay $500 for him. Yeah, I'd pay for him over uh, Barnsey. So, but the problem is, not too many eighty-three-year-olds are on social media. No, uh, Brandon, find his TikTok. I think it's old man <laughs> underscore ref one. Okay. Well, you're on that his website, right? Tang, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, dot Congress. So, so you're watching your balls are beautiful. <laughs> All right. So no, the, the overall consensus is no, no, no on Mike Barnes. No. All right. Okay. I thought thought it'd be nice. Thought you guys would be like, oh yeah, guy probably needs a five hundred bucks. We should give it to him. Dude, I really do want to talk to this Patty Johnson now. I'm reading all about him. Yeah, it's very he, also, interesting. he also trained people uh, as the he was the choreographer for Enter the Dragon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Mortal Kombat. Wow, oh. wow, that's a wow, wow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh? Oh, why isn't this? He's 1995 Black Belt Magazine's Instructor of the Year. <laughs> yeah, he come was. on, that's a that's an accomplishment. So uh, I had posted this on social media the other day. My wife and I were out to dinner, and I get this you know, notification for whatever reason for all my news, and this story, this article pops up. For some reason, it's not popping up on my computer here at home, but it did pop up on my phone the other night. So uh, I, I, think, oh, there it is. I think we've come to the realization of what we want to do with our lives, the rest of our lives. We're going to be empty nesters in a year, so we are free and clear to do whatever we want. There is a private island in the Caribbean Sea that is on the market for under $500,000. Full disclosure, here's my disclaimer, just so we don't get involved in this anymore. That's a lot of money. I understand. Okay. <laughs> But it is obtainable. <laughs> you can finance it. I have great credit. Okay. Just so we don't get in that back and forth again. And I don't want to hear, Bailey, $475,000 isn't a lot of money, Mr. Roswell Snob Richie Pants. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. But in the whole scheme of things, $475,000 for a five-acre island uh, is a pretty good deal. It definitely is. <laughs> it, I, right, exactly. You know, it, it's it's five acres, features a home with three bedrooms, two bathrooms, the island located near Niagara, or I'm sorry, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yeah, not, not you said Niagara. I said Nicaragua. Uh, is perfect for swimming, fishing, and watching stunning sunsets. Okay. It's, with cartel boats in the distance. Okay, I'm getting there. So hold on. <laughs> so, so it comes with its own staff. They said they're willing to stay. According to this article, they have their own quarters on the island, not like you know, twenty five cents, but places to live. And uh, it's twelve miles off the coast of Bluefields, Nicaragua. Okay, and. What else was on there? There's a boardwalk that goes throughout the, the island. You have... I would not call that a boardwalk. Those look like just some boards that they yeah. put down that on some dirt. On. Yeah. Okay. Well, by definition, what do you think a boardwalk is? I, when you say like, oh, they have a beautiful boardwalk, you think of something that's 
elevated off the ground, going over some water, fancy. Those are just some discolored boards on the ground. I just want airbrush sure. t-shirts for yeah. sale. Well, I mean board. I wanted people to have the visual. There's boards to seeing. walk on. That's okay. why it's a board walk. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, this is island living, Nikki. Okay. You're not familiar with private islands. I I'm, know. I'm definitely. This not. is my private island. <laughs> <laughs> they call it Iguana Island. And uh, I don't know, I'm guessing there's iguana there. I don't know. So what else? Uh, oh, you can easily get flights back to the United States. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump over to a place in Nicaragua. Those are the rooms? Oh, just a 12-mile boat ride? Yeah, just a 12-mile boat ride. Is that what it says, 12-mile <laughs> boat ride? Well, you said it's 12 miles off the coast, of which doesn't make sense that Blue Fields, Nicaragua. I, I don't think there's a city in, unless it was translated. And I don't think there's a place called Blue Fields in South America. They make ice cream there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's what it says. You know, unless this is whole thing's a gimmick. I don't know. That looks very run down, though, that house does. Y'all have to do a lot of renovation. What are you talking about? This is in great shape. This is, this, is, this, is, this is beach living right here, Nikki. I wouldn't live there. Oh my God! You and I snub. live in an apartment right this now. This is like, <laughs> this is a beach house. Now I'm saying we would put our touches on it. I'm not a big fan of the yellow and green, but I think that's island, like Nicaraguan colors or something. So people don't kill you. You know, you want to keep that. <laughs> I think that's that's probably why they did that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, there is a Bluefields area, but it was named after a Dutch Jewish pirate named Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Bluefields. <laughs> the island offers 360-degree uh, views of the clear turquoise water. Yeah, yeah, you can take a stroll on the boardwalk. Mm. Boards on the ground. Uh, boards on the ground. Boards on the ground. Boards on the ground. Like a fool with your boards on the ground. You got a site manager. Caretakers are willing to stay with the new owner. I like how they're willing to stay. Like, oh, you're willing to stay in your home on a private island. I'm sure it was a you know twist in your arm there. <laughs> like they have so many other options. Yeah. Uh, well, I could go fight for my life in Nicaragua, or I could live on an island. What should I do? The home is surrounded by lush foliage and migrating butterflies. That's cool. Uh, Until you're swarmed by them. Yeah, how do you, how do you get out there? You got to buy a boat too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it doesn't say if it comes with a boat or not. It does not have a pool or a helipad, but they said there's plenty of room to build one. So, uh, yeah, I'm assuming you'd have to. to probably want to buy a helicopter. Probably be your best. Place. Yeah, because think about it. You're sitting there at dinner, and you're like, "Shit, I forgot to pick up the ketchup." All right, get in the chopper. I'll be back in 14 hours. I'll be back in 14 hours. Can you keep my burger warm? <laughs> Uh, coconut palms, banana trees, also plenty of shade and uh, offers plenty of shade and privacy. Look at these skies. Beautiful. Oh, look at that water. Oh, the region is known for its stunning sunrises and sunsets over the water. Are you prepared for hurricane season? Like, what are you going to do then? Have you thought about that? It's a great question. They answer that in this article. Okay. So it's right below the hurricane belt. Okay. So it's temperature is beautiful all year round, and I don't think you get hit. It like the hurricanes dodge you because of Iguana Island. It just goes around or over or something because <laughs> of the location. Kind of like Tampa, Florida. Tampa never gets hit by hurricanes. It's weird. 
according to the listing, the west side west side of Iguana Island is calm and accessible to swimmer, swimmers. The water's calm, not the natives. Plenty of <laughs> fishing. Oh, yeah. Here's the other good thing. Plenty of fishing. This is what Rach said. She says, well, I'm podcasting. She's going to be a fisherwoman. Oh. And she's going to go out on the dock and that fish. That dock looks like it's about to break off and fall in the water. Y'all no. Don't yeah. do that. It's seasoned. Look at that. It's got a cross it's on it. It's rusty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's of course it's rusty because it's been used. It's water rust. Just a little. <laughs> yeah. You don't know anything about the ocean. <laughs> Snapper, mackerel, barracuda. Ooh, barracuda can be caught from the island's dock. I can catch barracuda, mackerel, and snapper right from that dock. That's what we're eating dinner every night. But I think the cross at the end of the dock means something. R.I.P. I'm joking. It's not a cross. It's a. Um, it definitely looks like a cross. It's um. That's where they killed the last owner. Exactly. <laughs> the mutiny from the the staff. <laughs> we'll stay here after we killed him. <laughs> he's gonna think he's out there getting sharks and um, mackerels or whatever. He's yeah. gone. He's over the edge. Pew. We're catching things we've never eaten. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm call? telling you, this thing looks very shabby and worn down. Cleat. That's right. They're called cleats. That's a big cleat at the end of the dock. What does a big cleat do? That's it, where you tie the the boats up to. It's a cleat. That's what you do. when you go to the dock. You see the cleats. Mm-hmm. You know, and you go around, around, and then you slip it, and you pull it, and you pull it. Okay. And I like, hmm? I like how the the fence around it is like a, it's like a porch from a Georgia plantation. <laughs> you see it? There's a lot of southern influence down there in Iguana. <laughs> yeah, there it is. It's, it's super southern. It all comes from Dutch Bluefields. He loves yeah. the South. <laughs> Uh, there's also plenty of tropical fish to admire with either a snorkel or some scuba gear. You can go offshore if you want to do some fishing, catch tuna, billfish, and wahoo. No, baby, they make the wahoo right here. Daddy, I don't like fish. I worked at Red Lobster. I worked with a bunch of mad Mexicans. I know what they're, you know, no, wahoo. Eating wahoo is great. All right. Mm, Year-round temperatures located uh, below the hurricane belt. You know what that means? That you're not going to get hit with a hurricane, allegedly. I, I guess. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up, but I'm assuming that's what it means. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things in your life that you'd have to change, of course. Um, you know. Oh, supplies are readily reachable thanks to the close proximity of Bluefields. Bluefields must be a metropolis in Nicaragua. Like, they've got everything. Uh, I don't know how big it is, but uh, their daily flights from the U.S. to Managua, Nicaragua, Managua, Nicaragua, the capital, Nicaragua. Daily flights. Oh, Managua. M- 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 Managua. 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 Old man glue. Managua. You guys going to man glue later? <laughs> man glue. <laughs> uh, uh, but look how cool this is. Can you imagine having your own? I mean, like this is obtainable for people. $475,000. So what we we're thinking, Nate is we'll go halves on it and we'll split the island and we'll just both live in the house. And then you and I, during the day, we'll uh, get coconuts and podcast. The women will fish and sew and cook and clean and um, give, <laughs> give, and clean. give sex, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> 
Well, that's the that's the next meetup. Uh, Podcast and coconuts three. <laughs> Podcast and coconuts where we where we where we do sex often. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you wake up like how? Think about this. Okay, it's very similar to the lifestyle Nate's living now. But I think Nate has become Mexican Mexican civilized, meaning that his life is back on. You know, like when you move anywhere. You you have to get in a new flow. You have to get into a new system. You meet new people. You've got new things to do. Blah blah blah. So he moves to Mexico. It starts out. It's like uh, it's like a summer vacation. You know, it's the beach. You get to walk around. I'm going to explore. Not that he doesn't still do this, but he's starting to build a life in Mexico. So now you've got. Tell me if I'm off on any of this stuff, right? I mean, this is right. Okay. No, you're good. Uh, so he's got responsibilities, and okay. you know, so not every day is a vacation like it was before because he's still a young man. He's living his life. He's married. And they've got shit that they're doing down there. I mean, for all I know, he's part of the cartel or runs one. You know, <laughs> but he's got shit to do. He's a busy Mexican American guy. You know, so when you move out on the island, there's only so much you can do. There, there is cell service and there is Wi-Fi out there. By the way, that's what they said. No, that's good. That's it, surprising. It, isn't that crazy? You know, so you've got all the accommodations, the amenities of home, and you have five acres, which is not a lot, by the way. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not a lot. It's not like I said five miles. I said five acres. You know, oh, money bags, Bailey. Oh, five acres ain't that much. <laughs> okay, so that was a factual statement where five acres is not as much as five miles. I live in a 300 foot efficiency apartment, you dick. <laughs> Your whole life would be on five acres of land, and it's not even a full five acres because it's going to dip down into the water and then water's going to come up, you know. So you, you have probably a good four acres to work with, you know, that, and that's your life. But can you imagine you buy it, you arrive, you think you got everything, you're ready to rock and roll. The excitement that you have, you party the night of, you're excited. You get up early the next day because you want to get everything settled. couple weeks, month go by, you got everything settled. And it's like, what the fuck do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I told Rach. She goes, "No, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna rename it Puppy Island, and we're gonna bring a bunch of, we're gonna adopt dogs, and they're gonna run around the island." I said, four acres is not five acres is not a lot." I go, "How many dogs do you want?" She's like, "We're gonna fill the island with dogs," and I said, well, "They have to use the bathroom. Where are they going to go to the bathroom? There's no, you know, trash pickup or anything," which is another question they don't answer in this article. And oh, she yeah. goes, we'll, we'll figure that out. And I was like, well, you can't put it in the in the water. It contaminates. I mean, that much duty in the water is going to contaminate it somewhere downstream, you know, or, you know, close by. And uh, she's like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We just won't feed them as much or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> so she wants to move to this island and just bring like 100 dogs with us. And she wants, wants me to build a bed that they can all sleep with us in. Oh, my goodness. That's what she wants the rest of our lives to be. No, she doesn't. I you, don't believe that. Well, she might say that, but that's not what she wants. <laughs> no, she Watch, does. Watch this. One, no, we're not saying that she's not saying it. I'm just saying a couple days in, you're going to be changing be your mind. It. I'm bringing her down. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be over it. It's actually worse when she says it. I actually soften the blow. When she says it, it sounds silly. You know, it sounded silly when you just said it. it exactly, that's yeah. why I said it. But but when I'm saying it, 
you know, I at least understand how silly it sounds. She wanted to move last night or the night of. Like, I mean, that's that's what she wanted to do. See, all the dogs following her. She's like the dog whisperer. All right, come here for a second. All right, we're having a conversation about you. Okay. Okay, and put some headphones on so you can hear Nate and Brandon Thrasher. All right, here we go. All right. All right, can you hear me? Yummy. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. So, here... We're talking about this private island, Iguana Island. Ooh, Mr. Nate. Say, right, say here's, here's where. Uh, would you like to explain to them your plan for, for Iguana Island? Okay, Nate. The idea is we are on one side of the island. The Nates are on the other side of the island. You get an acre apiece. Okay, so, because I guarantee you, Jackie and Mr. 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 Nate will want to come too. Okay, so we're like divvying up. We got five acres. We can share. And you can have your little island over here. We're going to have little puppy island over here. Mm-hmm. All the fellas in the world. Mm-hmm. It's going to be amazing. A little bit different than how I described it, but pretty much the same idea. <laughs> okay, I forgot about the divvying up of the islands and your yeah. parents moving down there. Yeah. Oh, I know Jackie's in. She's ready to party. <laughs> See, you thought I was crazy. She said that with a straight face. She's not laughing. She's not kidding. She's serious. She's yeah. dead serious. Too serious. Yeah. What are the dogs going to eat? Uh, we're going to live off the land. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell them about that. Yeah, tell them about that part. <gasps> oh, Mr. Nate. So you guys are professional podcasters, okay? Yep. That's your That's your income stream. That is what is going on. Mrs. Mr. Nate and I, I just added her to this. Mrs. Mr. Nate and I are going to be professional fisherwomen. <laughs> They're going to catch Wahoo every day. We're going to catch fish. They're going to catch fish. They're going to be out there. I think it's a great idea. Do you know how to fish? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You go fishing often? Not anymore. Okay. But, I mean, uh, it'll come back. Okay. Put those fish. I used to do it all the time when I was little. Okay. Yeah, when I was younger. Put those fisher days behind her. (laughs) (laughs) I know how to do it. Mm. No, I know how to do it. And yeah. then I know how to clean the fish. Mm. I know how to do all the things. At what okay. point in time would you wake up and say, you know, this might have been a bad idea. I'm Bae. kind of bored. Bay, I just need a boat. They do. No. I don't boat. think that's a bad idea at all. I think it's an amazing idea. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the island, though? I mean, did you look at it real a, good? The, the house. Did yeah. you look at it real? She thinks that Nikki thinks the house looks run down. Very run down. Best it looks part, nothing like this house. Best part of that is Jason Bailey likes projects. Oh, so you're going to have him mm-hmm. fix the house yeah, up. He can do whatever okay, he wants. Okay, so he left yeah. that part out. Oh, he likes projects. Mm. Okay. That's why this house looks like it does, because he can't function without a project every weekend. Right, Mr. Nate? Right, yeah, yeah. 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 And then you're going to have to be flying in Jeremiah every couple of days to fix the oh, project. Oh, true so. story. Hey, <laughs> <gasps> Jeremiah fucking Sample can come live on the island too. Sample Airlines will take you straight <laughs> to Puppy Island. <laughs> Can you can you can you look up if there's a uh, Home Depot in Bluefields, Nicaragua? <laughs> I'll check it out. Wait, you could cut down trees and harvest your own lumber. I'm gonna grow things. Mm, what, oh, what are you gonna grow? Oh yeah, what you, oh oh that's right. This I forgot about this. So this is this was her solution for all the puppies, and when they go potty. <laughs> Since there's no trash service, uh, and we're not going to put it out in the water because it's bad for the ocean, um, bacteria, it's gross, it's disgusting. Here's her brilliant scientific 
uh, agricultural idea. Dude, we have to live off the land and grow things anyway to have a garden. So we can just use it as manure. <laughs> Use it as manure. As fertilizer. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's poop. <laughs> yeah, fertilizer. Yeah. You have fertilized the garden. So oh. she's going to go on duty duty every day. No, 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 no. We have staff for that. Oh, we have staff for the duty yeah. duty, and then they fertilize the, the garden. So the, the everything that we're going to eat is going to be fertilized with this dog mess. Bay, I don't feel like you are supportive of my dreams. Yeah, this one's bad. And you're a fun ruiner. Like if this were a, you know, if we had $500,000 laying around to have an island and we would just... We do. Let's sell our house. Go out there every once in a while, you know, and just say, hey guys, you want to go out to the island for a couple of weeks? Yeah, let's no, let's get on board. There. Let's fly to Bluefields, Nicaragua. Dude, I got frequent flyer miles. Come on, let's go. That's a different story. But we're, we're nowhere near that, you know. We're going to do what the Nates did and sell everything. Mm, okay. Well, is, <laughs> this is, but he at least is living in civilization. This is not even civilization. Hey, people are dumb. Let's go. You know, some people thought Nate was crazy for moving <laughs> to Mexico, thinking that he was like moving in the middle of the rainforest. He's moving. He moved to a city. This is a, a five-acre island. You yeah. know, I can live naked on the island. Mm, okay. It's amazing. Even with the staff, you're going to run around naked. Yeah, I don't care. Let's do it. It's going to be like one of those movies where you, you move into the island, and one of the guys, staff members, has an eye for your girl, and then ends up killing us and touching us and putting things in our buttholes. Oh, babe! What? Remember how you want to know how I'm going to kill you? Mm-hmm. You're going to leave me for Pedro. Cannibalism. You, you're going to kill me on Puppy Island, leave me for Pedro's penis, and then eat my body. Yeah. Gross. Okay. It's a way great idea. S- sprinkled with dog duty. Ew. Mm-hmm. Do that. All right. Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. I just wanted to back the play. See, guys, I told you that was, that, that was all a true story. It's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Mr. Nate's in. Mm. I already know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. You guys, you guys get started, and I'll come down down a couple of years when it's ready. They <laughs> <laughs> said a couple of years. Oh, it's ready. It's 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 turn. It's what they it's what the kids call turnkey. Yeah. It's a, yeah. The key broke off in the door. I think it's a turn turnkey operation. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that was our plan, and you know, being the voice of reason, and let's be honest, the smarter of the two, I had to. You know, put in. Bullshit. Oh, you're still here. Sorry, I had to, I had to, I had to put, I had to put the Knicks on this. You know, it's just, it was a, it's a great thought. It's something fun to talk about, but I don't think that's the plan. But then I go, then I like think, what would Nate do? WWND, right? What right. would Nate do? Nate would say, just do it, right? Just do it. So then. Why not just do it? Why Why can't I go live on an island? I can do the podcast from the island. The sponsors are going to be the same, right? They're not going to go anywhere. You can't go live on an island because you'd be bored out of your mind. Where yeah. are you going to play tennis? Who are you going to play it with? I the would staff? Ha- I, the staff, one, yes. That's a very good uh, suggestion. But uh, I would I would buy it. What a, if they don't know how to play tennis? I would then become a, a teacher and I would charge them. <laughs> You just got to pay him 20. You got to buy 20 of his books and then they'll teach you tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, 
Yeah. That'd be weird living on. A, like, so here's, you mentioned the cartel, right? In Nicar- so Nicaragua, obviously, that's not the most sturdy of places, right? They've got the, the Contra, the Contra, or the, right? The Contra people and gorillas and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you're only 12 miles from the island. That's not that far. So you're on this five acre island and it's just you and your staff who, when it all comes down to it, doesn't, they don't give a damn about you. Like that's pretty scary. I mean, in all seriousness, that's pretty scary that at any point in time, somebody could come with like, Oh, the gringos bought this island. Let's go find them and touch them and rob them and kill them. And there's nothing you could do about it. You can't protect the entire island. Right? Yeah. I mean, this might even just be a scam to, uh, find a rich guy, bring him down there and take all his money. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a legit fear, right? You know, like w- people always say, Nate, you better watch out. I saw a story in Mexico and you get upset and you're like, well, I saw 10 stories in Atlanta. This is a legit scare, right? You'd be nervous. Um, e- I don't know. Cause I don't really know Nicaragua that well, because you know, you, most people think the same thing in Mexico, but yeah, is there crime? Sure. But, there, but it's not everywhere. So maybe Nicaragua, just the stories we hear about it and the, the cartel and the Contra stuff, maybe that's just in a certain area and the rest of the country is fine and beautiful. I'm not sure. Mm. So you might be okay. Yeah, I don't know. Nikki, would you come visit? I would I, I would consider coming to visit. Okay. Yeah. We've got a place for you. It's three better. I, I don't I don't know. Or we might put you with the staff. Maybe we'll introduce you to one of our uh, men's staff guys. No, I'll probably pass on that. Why? You wouldn't want a uh, little uh, island island staff? <laughs> no, because I'm sure that as long as they've already been out there, they're probably already banging each other or animals. I don't know. I don't. There's, <laughs> no, there, there's no animals. It's an island. It's probably not going to be I mean, there's, there's something out there. there. If you there's think there's iguanas. no animals, there's something out there. Okay, well, I doubt they're banging iguanas. I mean, you don't know what people are doing. But what about the la- on the, an island. The guys that you're with are stuck in this country. And you don't know what they've been banging. I do know what they've been banging. You do not. Nobody knows what the person that they just banged banged. It's Unless probably, you're in a relationship. Yeah, but no, I don't want to come bang any of your staff members in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. How about that? You okay? Well, I'm, right. just, saying, I, I'm, I'm just saying don't take, don't, I'm sticking up for my staff that I don't. That you don't have. That I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> but you... You know, you go out there, and when you want some, I mean, that's why there's the D and Nikki D. It's when you went out there, you want it, and you go get it. You don't go through the past history of that ding dong. You don't check the serial number. You don't do the ballistics on the balls. You don't know any of that stuff. You just do it. And I guarantee you've slept with a man that probably that day slept with another woman. I have. Okay. I know that for a fact. Not supposed to admit that because I was just trying to be right, and you're supposed to argue with me. Now I'm really right, and I feel horrible. <laughs> Thank you very much. How did you know that? Was it a threesome the, or something? It was not. It was actually my ex, and I found out later that, yeah, he had sex with a, another woman. Um, it was a day that we were actually throwing a party for him. He came to the party, had a great time, act like he was excited, had sex with me that night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he did. He did. How'd you find out? Um, some months down the line, um, the lady was messaging him all these crazy messages on Facebook. And in one of the messages, she alluded, not alluded, she basically said, like, you know, how could you sleep with me that morning and go off and be with her and party like nothing ever happened? And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how I found out. Well, for guys, it's it's something that every guy, well, not every guy, most guys say they're going to do at least once, right? Have sex with two women in one day and them not know it. That's like a thing for guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because like I've, I've, I've done it. Nate, I'm assuming you've done it. Oh, yeah. Brandon? Uh, I don't, I can't recall. I don't think so. Oh. Okay. It's, Good job, Brandon. I tell you, if I could go back Get on it, I, no, 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 no. I tell you, okay. if I could go back, I would not do it because it's very disrespectful. It's very. There's a lot of things I would not do. But when you're young and dumb and horny, you know, you and, and you and you're like, well, I'm not going to marry this girl. Uh, you just want to have fun. So you have fun, and at the time it makes sense. But when you get older and you look back, you're like, God, what a dick move. You know, like literally. That's not that's not the coolest thing to do. So there's a lot of regrets that I have, Nikki. Okay. A lot of set, a lot of relationship regrets. Oh, okay. I wish I would have handled things differently. But you know why I didn't handle them differently? Why? Because as a young man, I didn't know who I was. Oh, that's admirable of you to admit. I think the young the the sooner you know who you are as a person, mm-hmm. especially as a man, the better you'll do in life. The better you'll treat people. The more successful you'll be. I was an extremely late bloomer. Okay. Like to the point where I still don't know who I am. No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I was, I was a late bloomer. It took me, it took me years and years to get to know who I was. Okay. You know, and there's still people today that don't know who they are. There are. You're right about that. I mean, there's a guy I know in his fifties. There's no fucking idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> fucking clueless. So anyway. All right. So no on uh, Mike Barnes from Karate Kid 3, correct? Yeah, okay. I think we'll pass. No on uh, Iguana Island as well. Yes, yeah. no on, okay. on the island. And no on sleeping with two women, one being Nikki D in one day. Yes. <laughs> no, don't ever do that. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. So three, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's dumb. Yeah, three no's. I got you. Why are you dumb. guys hesitating over there, Nate and Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a very fuck kill, kill question. I'm like, Nikki's my friend. I'm not answering this. <laughs> That Bailey guy's trying to trick us. <laughs> All right, let's do Nate's Mexican moment. And now a Mexico moment with Nate. All right, good. Mexico Moment with Nate, sponsored by Furry Family Comfort Care. Stephanie is a registered veterinary technician certified in hospice and palliative care for dogs and cats with over 20 years experience. And would they do things like mobile and virtual assessments? Do I need to take my dog or cat to the vet for this? Personal nurse for your fur baby that you can collaborate with your vet to ensure the best care for your pet. And now mention the BS and get 50% off your first appointment, whether it be a consultation about your pet's health, hospice consult, cold laser therapy, or 50% off one night for your dog or cat at the Furry Family Comfort Care Resort. You can find Furry Family Comfort at FurryFamilyCC.com. That's FurryFamilyCC.com. Can I add something to that just quickly? Yeah. Is uh, Stephanie is very active on our social media, uh, namely the BS2 Percenters Facebook group. So if you have a question for her, you can tag her on that. And she's really good at responding quickly. Um, and she's got no problem answering questions on there. She's a fantastic person, and she really knows her stuff. I love that she's a sponsor of of this show because, you know, as a dog lover, a dog owner, same with Nate. You know, Nikki's a dog owner but hates her dog, so she's not a part of this conversation. 
we can go to Stephanie. So it's nice to have that <laughs> in our back pocket. So. I don't hate my dog. You try to kill your dog. It's yeah, very or simple. just take it to the vet. Yeah, you just don't ever take it to the vet or get it milked, whatever it's called. All right, Nate, your uh, Mexico moment, even though you're still in Iowa, please. Yeah, this was in Cabo um, uh, on my way up here to Iowa. And actually, oh, I, this is my second time in Cabo because I went the first time for Nikki D's birthday. Uh, that was when I surprised. It was a uh, January, right? Yes. Yeah, so she's been where the this happened at. And I think if you guys remember, I was talking about the um, the Mexican Sasquatch that yeah. I saw up in the hill, yeah. which is kind of fu- kind of funny because I, somebody tagged me in it on some other account and it's some like Bigfoot account and they've like reframed my video and they've changed the caption to say, what is it? Oh, um, giant, like real living giant found in the Mexican jungle or something like that or in the Mexican mountains and they have this whole backstory that i don't know if they made it up or copied from somewhere else but it has like eighty five thousand views on or eighty five thousand likes on instagram so they stole your your footage yeah wow you could make that an nft yeah i guess i could you could i mean there's there's plenty of sites that sell them and you've got proof you can say these people are stealing it this footage and i had the i had the original they make some money off of it that's true. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, but this is, so this happened the same trip and um, we were, uh, so we'd gone out um, and did like a little boat tour around, uh, around the rocks and everything. And then we came back, hung out at the beach for a little while. And then we went uh, back to the hotel up by the, the Mexican Sasquatch and we were hungry. It was getting a little late. And Alexis and I have this issue where we go out to do something like in a city and we'll be walking around and be like, oh, we'll grab something. Here. Like as soon as we get there, we'll, we'll grab something. And then it turns out to be nine o'clock and we never even go out to a restaurant. We end up like eating McDonald's or something. Um, <laughs> well, at least in the States. But so got too late. We get back to the hotel and uh, and we call Rappy, which is basically like their Uber Eats. Um, it's a bunch of dudes riding around on little scooters. So we call, we call Rappy to bring us some Mexican food. And uh, and so I order three tacos, and Alexis orders three tacos. And she gets chicken ones. I think I got steak. And so we're waiting around. It's taking forever, and it's like 1030 at this point, and we're just starving. And uh, so finally, the, the Rappy gets to the hotel and go downstairs, grab the food. And she, they're... Like I said, three tacos. They're both corn tortillas. Um, so you know, you know the corn tortilla is a little drier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so sh- she starts eating her tacos. I'm eating mine, and I get into the second taco, and I'm like, man, this this steak is like really chewy. Must be a lot of fat in it. And um, so, and I'm just I'm chewing on it. I'm chewing on it, and I'm like, what the fuck is this steak? Like it's taking so long to eat. And um, and I I pull the meat out of my mouth. Uh- and it's a plastic bag. Oh, and that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, could have been worse. But, but I've been chewing on a plastic bag. So when they do to-go food in Mexico, typically, um, they'll provide a bunch of different sauces. But instead of putting in like a little cup, they have these little plastic bags, and they just pour the sauce in there and tie it in a knot and throw it in there. So I think one of the uh, plastic bags got into the the vat of meat. And they probably just scooped it right into one of my tacos. So I was just munching on this fucking plastic bag for like five minutes. <laughs> and, and one of the bad things about living in Mexico is you can't complain. Because if you do, they don't care. 
You know? Yeah. So you, it's not like you can call up or go on the app, the 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 rapey app or whatever it is, and say, "Hey, they they, they gave me a bag and my taco." And like, "Oh, we're sorry, sir. Let us refund your money and give you twenty percent off your next order." That's not how they function down there. Well, with the app, the the like maybe if I was at the restaurant, they might not have, or I, I don't know. But the app, I complained on it, and they did refund me, but only for the one taco that had the plastic bag in it. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me like eighty cents back. I was like, thanks. <laughs> well, I told you that story years ago, downtown Orlando. Was uh, we did breakfast at some place I forget where it was, and. I was chewing in my egg, and I was like, God, same thing. I was like, God, this is chewy. I was like, they must have put a lot of cheese in this omelet. And just kept <laughs> chewing and chewing. And it was almost addicting how much I had to chew because you wanted to chew as much as possible so you, before you saw what you were chewing on. And then finally, yeah. I was like, God, this thing is not, it's not going anywhere. And I pull it out, and it was that little uh, uh, silver and white um, cap thing that you put on mustard. You know, when you, you know, you got to unscrew the thing and then you peel it off. Oh, yeah, like the seal. The, yeah, the seal. But it had the like a layer of uh, clear plastic in it, too. It was that kind. And I, man, I sat there and chewed on it and I complained. And the guy told me I planted it and he wouldn't refund my, my breakfast. And I didn't want to argue <laughs> with him too much because it was a new chick that I was hanging out with. And, um, you don't want her to think you were cheap. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the scam. I just carry around a, a mustard seal in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like of, all, of all things. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that's what I do. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. All right. Uh, okay. So let's talk to our guest, shall we? Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Watkins Law Firm, trial and litigation attorneys. So if it's personal injury, wrongful death, contracts and transactions, landlord and tenant disputes, or just general civil litigation, WatkinsLawFirm.LLC is where you need to go. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, WatkinsLawFirm.LLC. And here's Tyler's tip of the day. In Georgia, if someone doesn't perform under a contract, the usual remedy is money. While in some cases you can have the court order them to perform, usually they won't because indentured servitude is not a thing anymore. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, WatkinsLawFirm.LLC, serving all of Georgia. Next time, talk to Tyler. I'm so happy that so many of you enjoy Nuberty's Men's Wellness League's uh, practitioner, Diane Spiva, when she comes on the podcast. I think it's great. You know, I've been going to Nuberty's Men's Wellness League in Sandy Springs, Georgia, for well over a year with testosterone maintenance, but they do so much more than that. With a weight loss program, sexual health, pain and joint management, Nuberty's Men's Wellness League is a men's wellness facility for guys and guys only. Guys, as you get older, your body starts to break down. There are things that you can control and there are things that you can't control. Just pop into Nuberty's Men's Wellness League in Sandy Springs or go online to menswellnessleague.com and schedule a phone call just to see where you're at. It could possibly save your life. That's a true story actually happened to a listener, right? So right now, the Wellness Combine, get it for 99 bucks. That's $200 off the regular pl- uh, price. Plus, mention the BS Podcast and get 10% off that price. But you got to mention the BS Podcast. Go to menswellnessleague.com. Hit that schedule button. Son of a bitch. I just called to say you should subscribe to The Bailey Show, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Nobody is going to save you now. If you like what you hear, then get a full seven days a week plus of new content by subscribing. Podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio.
And back to you, Jason. This story is one of the most compelling stories that I've heard in a very, very long time. Uh, Our guest, Major Tom Schumann, uh, has a book, Always Faithful, a story of the war in Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul, Kabul, and the unshakable bond between a Marine and an interpreter. Okay, so Major Tom, first and foremost, thank you for your service and thanks for your time. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, wow, this story is is just absolutely amazing. I mean, there's so many different pieces that that we're going to pick apart here. But first and foremost, the overall uh, story is you in Afghanistan and your interpreter who is an Afghanistani, is Af- Afghani, Afghanistani, Afga- Afghanistan, right? I don't know how you even say that. Uh, and you want to get him out afterwards because you guys formed this bond. You guys were uh, like two peas in a pod. Wherever you went, he went and just became the bestest of buddies, right? Yeah, there's definitely a brotherhood born under fire there, uh, a relationship forged in combat. Sometimes those are stronger than, you know, uh, they're unique, undoubtedly. And and it, it, it wasn't necessarily I wanted to get him out because we were buddies. I, want, I wanted to get him out to save his life. Uh, and uh, he, he, he faced immense persecution for his service to the U.S. And uh, he was poisoned. He received death threats uh, to his home. They were leaving letters saying, we're going to cut your head off. And so it, it was a matter of uh, life or death to get, to get my friend out. And uh, fortunately, and uh, maybe unfortunately, we, we established a program for our interpreters, a visa program that we said, if you do service to the U.S., we know you'll face persecution. So we'll help you get out. Uh, and we'll give you a visa, a path to citizenship. And so, we spent several years uh, applying for that visa, and, and ultimately the system never worked. And in the, the final hours of the Kabul withdrawal, we were, I was able to have a friend pull him and his family uh, through at the airport. So he was there, which, by the way, because uh, I think, we're yeah, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of that. Uh, that was the biggest, largest airlift of persons in Air Force history. And we all saw, you know, the coverage on the news. So he, Zach is his name, by the way. I mean, that's like what, what you call him. I mean, he's just yep. Zach. Zach. Uh, he was there with all those people and was pulled onto the giant planes. Yeah, I mean, he was not only there, but he was there with his four small children, uh, four kids under the age of five and his wife. And mm. so anybody who's a parent who's gone to the airport with, a kid, uh, I can imagine going to the airport with four kids is pretty tough. Now imagine going to the airport with four kids and a hundred thousand people where, where kids were getting trampled. And, and, and then on top of it, uh, you know, he, he took him three attempts to, to get finally to escape. And, and on the first two attempts, he saw his children saw people shot with machine guns by the Taliban. I mean, it was, that's how desperate the situation was there is that dads would bring their small kids to airports where people where children were being trampled and people were being shot with machine guns. That's how, that's how desperate and hopeless the situation was and, and, and how, uh, you know, much hope people had in, in, in a new opportunity in America that they were willing to risk that. Jesus. Go, go back to the beginning. You know, how, how does one get an interpreter and then two, 
at what point do you fully trust or if at all this person? Yeah, it, it, it definitely uh, takes a while to, to build that trust and that rapport and that relationship. Uh, you know, we, we, we were partnered with Afghan army soldiers. Uh, so we had to be able to speak to them. And then we were in the communities in the villages every day patrolling. And so to, to be able to engage with the locals, you had to have someone who spoke the local dialect. And so, uh, most interpreters at that time where I was deployed was the most dangerous place on earth. It was the most deadly kinetic place on earth. And so most of the interpreters were quitting. Uh, so when Zach, when Zach came in, uh, it was a real godsend that he knew English, uh, very well. He, he knew the local dialect well. Uh, but beyond that, he was willing to, uh, fight alongside us. And so he not only translated, but he helped to, you know, uh, provide insights into the cultural nuances there, help alleviate cultural blind spots that we may have had. And, and what really set Zach apart is that uh, he accepted the same risk and danger that the Marines were. And, and so he sprinted through a minefield. He detained a Taliban commander. He would pick up a weapon when a Marine was injured and hold security. And that's really what, 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 what transcended him from being just the guy who worked for us to kind of another member of the platoon. He became part of the family. Wow. Is, is he armed? Do you give him a gun? So, no, interpreters are not supposed to be armed. Uh, there were times where, Zach, we, we would have so many casualties and still be under fire that, that Zach would pick up, uh, you know, one of the casualties' rifles and help uh, hold security or provide security during the medevacs and that kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, the interpreters are all, always at a, a high risk and, and, and accept an immense amount of danger uh, while they're, actively patrolling with us and then subsequently they face you know persecution because of that service with with the u.s and, and how many years was zach your interpreter i mean how, how how long is this going on for you so he he my deployment my first deployment to afghanistan was seven months and so he worked with us over the course of those seven months he worked with the u.s for almost four years. And so he, he, he went on to work with the army in his province back in Kudar uh, after us for, for over two years. And, and so he spent about four years of service with the U S which the program to, to issue the visa requires 12 months. And so, you know, he exceedingly met the criteria and despite that we still could not get him a visa uh, through many, many attempts, um, which was very frustrating. So I asked that because, again, going back to the trust thing, uh, you know, seven months, four years, and, you know, you have to get some shut-eye, you know, does somebody look after this individual, and then is there just like that one aha moment where you're like, okay, he's good, or are you just kind of put into a situation, Major Tom, where you're like, I've got no choice but to trust this guy? Yeah, there's a difference between – uh, transactional and trust. And so, you know, I have no choice but to leverage the talents of the interpreter. I mean, initially, like I have to talk with the people and I have to talk with the Afghan army guys that are coming out on this patrol. And so like, I have to rely on this, this person's skill set, a linguist, a translator. Uh, it, it wasn't until Zach, demonstrated that he was willing to spill his own blood and, and assume the same risks. That's where the trust really uh, starts to form. And that this guy is, he, he's really, he's really one of us. And 
there, there's no difference at, at, at a certain point. Zach uh, blurred all the lines between whether he was a, a, an interpreter or, or just another Marine in the platoon. Because during all this time, his family, like what you said uh, earlier in this conversation, you know, you wanted to, to get him out of there because uh, you didn't want him killed by the Taliban or whoever. So, but even during this time, uh, these these locals that are helping the United States, I'm assuming they would be, you know, un- under attack and tar- So what is his family doing while he's out with you? Yeah, I mean, his province uh, was not as dangerous as some of the others. He was He's in a province called Kunar, and so there was fighting uh, in that area, and his family, his family has faced persecution. Um, but m- more than anything, when he got back to his province, that's when they, they started to leave night letters at his father's house, and they would say, hey, we know you, we know you live here, Zach. Uh, when we find you, we're going to kill you. That's when they were able to poison him. You know, that's when they, that's when they were calling us up and saying, we know you're in Kunar, we're going to find you and kill you. And that's why, you know, Zach never joined with the Marines because he wanted to come to the United States. He joined with the Marines because he wanted a freer, more prosperous Afghanistan. And, and he, you know, his decision to leave because of the persecution was one of the hardest ones he ever had to make. And, but, but that's how real the death threats were uh, to him. Do you feel that uh, you, uh, the United States, did what we were s- supposed to do over there, and was it the right move to leave? Uh, I can speak at the tactical level that that the Marines, the soldiers, the Marines, you know, w- we did what we were supposed to do. We fought and won the battle, and, and we went where our nation sent us. And, uh, you know, w- when you look at the battle of saying in the Battle of Marshall, when you look at these places where we fought, we won these battles. Um, so we, we did what we always do and that's fight and win. Uh, strategically, obviously there, there was, we did not win the war. Uh, and not only did we not win the war, but then we left a lot of these allies who we'd made a promise to, we signed a contract with. And so I, I think, uh, these bigger questions have to be, there's a public, uh, reckoning that has to take place, and 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 that's 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 sort of the American conscious to kind of say, was this the right way to invest uh, thousands of young kids' lives uh, and trillions of dollars? I mean, that that's 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 a bigger question for for the American public to answer. But 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 we did what what we were asked to do, and 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 we executed. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I don't think anybody looks at it that way that, you know, you're just like, okay, we want to make sure we get our own back, uh, whether you think that we should have been there, we should have been out or whatever, you know, that, that gets into the political thing, which I don't want to go to. But, you know, you talk about the people there that helped us and then you, and you, then you, then you talk about it's a, it's a, it's a human thing. It's not a, it's not a country thing. And we made promises to people like Zach and signed contracts with people like Zach, and we're not upholding those. And we wonder why yeah. people kind of hate the United States and the world, right? Because we're, we're going back on our promises to these people, and most of, a lot of them are probably getting killed, executed, right? Many of them have been persecuted and executed, yes. And, uh, and, and, and when you look at wars historically, we've always had to use allies. Uh, when you look at the future wars, we're going to need allies. 
And uh, we've got to be a nation that keeps our promises. We've got to be a nation that has integrity, honor, uh, or, or people aren't going to want to risk their lives to, to you know, to, to fight alongside us if, if, if we're not uh, a country that keeps its promises. Does this happen historically a lot? Uh, you can look to Vietnam and, and, and do a good case study there. And, and uh, I, I think you can look to Syria. Uh, and, and, and see how things with the Kurds went. Uh, I, I think y- if you want to take a, a, a walk down history lane with, with how the U.S. has treated, especially you know since Vietnam, uh, how we've treated our allies, it's, there's, I think there's some room for improvement. Wow. You know, I have never in my 47 years on this earth ever thought about it like that. It's very, very eye-opening, very interesting, because then you'll get people that'll say, who cares what anyone else thinks? I just care what happens, you know, in the United States, but that's not how you win wars. Like you said, we always have to have allies. Yeah, I mean, if if there were to be a fight in the Pacific, uh, you undoubtedly will need friends in the Pacific to help help you, and uh, if they were to say, well, look how you treated your last friend, uh, why am I going to, you, you might find yourself in a little bit of, uh, uh, and you'd have to say, no, this time it'll be different, you know? So, uh, that's, uh, it's, it, it puts us in a, it's, it puts us in a tough spot for sure. And you're still active duty, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So if things escalate with China, Russia, fill in the blank, you're, you, you get the call. I'm an infantry Marine. You yeah. go and fight. So, so how do they do that? Do they call you, text you? What do they do? Uh, you know, my grandma used to always want to know uh, if I knew what was America was about to do. And I said, you know, grandma, they don't call the lieutenant and say, hey, uh, <laughs> this, you know, no, the president doesn't call the lieutenant. Uh, and, you know, I'm a major now, but they, they still don't call the major either. Uh, well, you know, you, 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 American can rest assured that the Marine Corps is, is ready to fight tonight. You know, we're, we're trained, we're ready to deploy. And so when, when, the, when the order comes down, uh, you know, in 96 hours, we, we can hit a beach anywhere in the world. And so uh, we're forced in readiness and, and we are that 911 force. And so we're, we're, we're ready to fight uh, wherever our nation calls our directives to. I hope we don't have to. Uh, I like, I got a bunch of kids I want to come home to, uh, but uh, we're, we're always ready. Yeah, but but the the communication, that's what I'm asking, is like, how do you get it? You know, like, you you guys on WhatsApp or whatever, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, Look, I'm not, again, I'm not like privy to the highest levels of communication that, you know, a a declaration of war uh, or that that order that comes down to go to combat, it's going to come from the Pentagon. Yeah. to uh, the senior senior generals in the Marine Corps and the senior generals in the Marine Corps are going to look at their forces available. Uh, and, and you know, that we, we do have recall rosters, right? And so we have recall rosters for reasons like this, that, that we can we can call everybody, text everybody, uh, you know, within an hour and have everybody mustered at the battalion. So it would, at some point, it would come down to texting and, and, and phone calls to get everybody there at the parade deck warmed up, getting their gear, getting their, their weapons and everything. But, uh, those orders come down, you know, all the way from the, from the top. Yeah. That's, that's what I was wondering. I went, uh, my first couple of years in college in the early nineties, I was at Wingate college and this girl in North Carolina, this girl that I was friends with her brother did something in the military that she never knew what he did, but he was always sent 
and nobody knew what he was sent for. He was like that kind of guy. And the first Gulf War, before we, the public, knew what was happening, I remember she came to my room at like 1 o'clock in the morning. She was crying her eyes out. I said, what's wrong? She's like, my brother had to leave. I said, where'd he go? She's like, I don't know. He's just deployed, and we never know where he's going. And then, like, literally just a day or two afterwards, everything unfolds. He was, like, the first boots on the ground kind of guy. And I've always wondered, like, what did they just call his house? And his wife answers and says, oh, hold on. You know, I I just never – there wasn't texting at that time, so I don't know how they did it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a way to get us mobilized and ready, and and, and we are ready for rapid deployment. And it, it may at, at, the, at the tactical level down here with the battalions, it, it may come down to some text and calls. But how that uh, originates is uh, orders from you know the president to the Pentagon to the troops. Yeah. Do you have a, a like a bug out bag, a, a bag ready to, ready to go at all times? Yeah, Marine, Marines are expeditionary. And so we're ready to fight tonight. And so we, yeah. we've got our, our kits packed and, and we're, we're our, our stuff stage. We're, we're ready to go at any time. Yeah. My, uh, my crew who's not on this call right now, my team and my listeners, even on social media made fun of me because I put together a, a survival bag. I don't know. I just felt the need to put one together and uh, I am by no stretch a survivalist, <laughs> you know, so I, I just, for some reason, I wanted to put together a tactical vest and a survival bag, and they made fun of me for the things that I put in there, and I thought I did everything right, you know, so I'm sure you have better stuff in yours, and you probably obviously know what you're doing, um, but I thought everybody should have one, right? Everybody should have one in their closet. Uh, better be prepared and have the tools than, than, than to not, you know, uh, yeah. prior planning prevents poor performance and so it'll be uh when, when the balloon does go up and the zombies come it'll be better to, to have a bag than to not have a bag uh so uh you know especially to me as a man as a father uh i'm charged with providing uh protection and, and security for my family and, and i can't be left out uh, not not prepared not equipped and so yeah. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a prepper. Uh, I'm a preparation guy as well. Absolutely. Uh, so Zach now is in the United States living, and does he have citizenship yet? His visa is still denied. So uh, we've appealed it. He's on his oh. final appeal. Um, so it, the, the saga is, is, is continues. Uh, we're still fighting, uh, still trying to get him his, his actual citizenship because he, he could face support deportation if, if he does it okay so what is he doing while he's here is he working i mean he can't work right yeah uh he has a he has like a temporary work permit um so he is uh he's in san antonio he, he he's he's hanging drywall six days a week 12 hours a day at a cancer hospital so he's still making uh he's still working hard for america doing the job that you know other people don't he, he works construction and, and he's currently uh in a hospital, hanging hanging drywall uh, six days a week. Well, I didn't know this was still an everyday struggle, and that's what it is, right, for you, an everyday struggle of returning emails, making phone calls, pushing the envelope type of thing to, to, to get Zach to stay. We're still in the fight, yep. You know what you need to do? You need to reach out to, like, a John Stewart. That guy makes all kinds of noise for, for the soldiers. Got his number. Let me know. <laughs> well, I'm Major Tom. I'm sure that if you go to social media and you ask for, you, you're going to have a lot more success with that than I will. Now, I'd be more than happy to send out a tweet 
Uh, but uh, I, I just, I this is something that's very, you know, I didn't expect this going into this conversation. We would talk about your book and obviously your life and 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 some stories, but I never thought that I would uh, during this conversation have this, you know, this epiphany. This like like what these people that we just kind of turn our backs on. And, you know, the, 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 the Taliban will just execute them, right? If they go back, they find them. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They just shoot and kill, correct? Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely not uh, hypothetical. It's something that has played out in, in real time, and absolutely. It's not, it's not like maybe or speculative. The Taliban will execute them. And, and, and Zach uh, is just one of many, right? 87,000 are still in the country. 87,000 people that helped us are still where? In Afghanistan. In Afghanistan that we promised that we would get out, bring to the United States for their contribution to the United States, and we left them there. That's correct. Wow. Let that sink in. You know, and, and, and that that's 87,000. So then maybe what? Do you get into the argument of, you know, the immigration stuff and, well, we don't want them here and who knows what they'll do if they come over? Is is, is that part of this conversation as well? It would be uh, a misplaced part of the conversation. You, you, you Look, there's a contract. There's a contract that the United States signed with these people that said, if you serve 12 months with the U.S., we will provide you a pathway to citizenship. We'll provide you a visa. It's called the Special Immigration Visa Program. So if you didn't like that idea or that concept, then you, 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 then you, you got to start it. You got to stop it before it starts. You got to say, hey, no, we don't want to provide a pathway to our citizenship to our allies. Uh, so you, you could have, you know, uh, at some point said this is not a program we should, we should have. But the fact of the matter is, is it is a program of record. It is a, and the contract is black and white. There's nothing ambiguous about it. It says, serve 12 months with the U.S. We know you will be persecuted for that. Because we know that you'll be persecuted, we will provide you a visa to help you escape that persecution. And these people did that part. They signed it. We signed it. Uh, and, and so at this point, it, it's, it, it's, it's, you can look at it from a contractual obligation that we have, but then there's also a moral and ethical obligation that when you sign a deal with someone, you honor it. And so for folks who say, well, what about the immigration? I would say that these people are more American than many people born in this country, that they hold ideals about America and, and beliefs about America that are more American than most, most many people that are born here, that many of these people have taken more risk on behalf of this country than any American will ever do. And so if you want to talk about the immigration or whatever, this, this group of people is the wrong place to, to place in your ire. These are people who have fought, bled, and, and nearly died for this country uh, and signed a contract that said that, that they, they would be honored with a, with a, with a path towards citizenship. So uh, that, that's kind of my take on any of the immigration debate with this. Well, yeah, and, and also, I mean, if if you do if you do talk about the the, the obviously the immigration argument is, you know, you sneak in. We don't mind you coming here, but you got to do it the right way. Blah blah blah. Well, not many people, I don't think, know about this. 
that you know we've prompt there is the contractual obligation but on top of that they have served our country for 12 months and that's to say more than most Americans right I mean I've never served in the military so Zach has done more for the United States military as uh, as as an Afghani than I have uh, so we we should obligate this. I, I just have never never ever thought about. It. Was he able to bring his family, his entire family, with him? I know that you said he had his kids with him and stuff, but I'm sure that's an extended family. Did they all come, or, or some of them are still over there? Uh, only his immediate family, which is, is I mean, it's very tough. I mean, uh, that that his culture, where he's from, you know, everybody grows up in the same compound, the, the same village, the same house, and so. You know, Zach has never experienced life uh, outside of his time with, with the Marines. Uh, you know, he's never been away from his family. And so, uh, you know, leaving his mom, his dad, his sisters, his brothers, I, I mean, that that's, again, that, that's a uh, indicator of how desperate the situation was. He would never leave his mom. He would never leave his dad. He would never leave these people unless he was legitimately terrified for his life and for his children's life. And so like, that's the real persecution. That's the real threat that these people were facing that they, that at some point last year uh, around this time, Zach looked into his mother's eyes, gave her a hug, knowing that he's never going to see her again. And so it is, uh, it's, 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 it's a tough situation for sure. Wow. Do do you think that you're going to have to, I mean, obviously you're, doing a media tour, but you're only one guy, it's not going to hurt you. And I made the the reference of John Stewart. That wasn't a joke. I was being serious. You know, you're going to have to get a mouthpiece in order to bring this to, uh, to people's attention in order to, to push this, uh, initiative. Um, do you do realize that, right? Have you kind of put that in a playbook? Yeah. I mean, it's what I did last year. It's, it's, you know, we landed on the cover of the New York times. We were, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow cried, uh, that we were on the daily podcast this year. We were on good morning America. We just did, uh, you know, morning Joe, we're, we're, we're doing what we can to use our story to increase advocacy to this issue because we recognize that one Zach himself is his case is not settled, but that uh, many others, um, need, need that support. Yeah. Well, I, 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 those are all absolutely great. And you're getting some, but a lot, you, you need a, you need a, that, that guy that just keeps poking the bear you, that, that just won't get off social media that goes in front of the cameras. That's recognizable. And again, the John Stewart of the world, you know, just saying, Hey, look, you can't do this confronting, you know, whatever politician is, is, is not doing the right thing, pushing that button. Um, but I don't know if you're that guy to do it. I think you're, too reserved and uh you know you're 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 just not that guy you got to get somebody that's noisy um anyway uh this story is so compelling that i read you've already signed a deal with hollywood to make a movie right yeah we've we've got some great producers and a great screenwriter who wrote who wrote the screenplay um the guy who wrote his name's Bob Rodad. He wrote Save the Private Ryan. He wrote The Patriot. He also wrote our screenplay. So I think they're uh, securing a director, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's in the works. Wow. Uh, any actors that you, that you have uh, possibility-wise? 
Yeah, I, I mean, my only request with the producers was that uh, they don't pick, I mean, I'm 6'3", I said, you know, I just don't want a small, there's all these small action hero guys, I said, just to make sure that the guy who plays me isn't, uh, you know, Tom Cruise, five foot, whatever. Uh, that, that's my only uh, That's my only request when it comes to, to the actor. So, uh, no, I, I think, you know, having the, having the guy who wrote the most successful war movie of all time, uh, Sarah Prime Ryan, Bob Rodat, uh, writing, writing the screenplay. I think it bodes well for us. Uh, and uh, hopefully they're able to get a, a great director. And once they have the director, I'm sure they'll get the actors in the studio. So. My only request is I don't want Tom Cruise to play me. So says no one. <laughs> yeah, it can't be another short action hero playing a, a tall, tall, lengthy Marine. <laughs> the guy that just put out uh, now, I think the biggest blockbuster of all time, surpassing Titanic. I don't want him because he's too short. Give me somebody that's taller. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to get a tall guy from Love in Hollywood. <laughs> You don't know the difference on camera. I mean, you can make Tom yeah. Cruise 6'10 if you want him to. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. So who who do you want? I mean, you know, have you sized up these guys? If yeah. You, you know? Uh, no, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really hardly ever watch movies or, or TV. So I don't, I don't even actually know like who, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. And I, like I said, I don't really care. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll get somebody great. Uh, again, the, the only thing that matters to me is that it, it, it would it would again uh, point attention. It would point attention to to this this visa immigration advocacy, and, and it would get to highlight the stories of these 18 to 22 year old Marines who were incredibly brave and uh, made incredible sacrifices. And so that's what's important to me is that that, that we get to see that. Absolutely, uh, Tom Hopper would be good for you. I think. He's a good actor. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, Asif Mandavi, Mandvi, um, probably to play Zach. Uh, he would be good, even though I've only seen him do comedy stuff. He's a really good actor. Um, but uh, just throwing some ideas out there. I'm always, I'm always one to, I'm always one to help, Major Tom. I'm always one to help. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, for you personally, um, you know those that have seen what you've seen or families, uh, I'm a part of one of those. Um, it's tough. You know, my, my wife's, uh, husband, the father of, well, our daughter, my, I'm a stepdad, you know, he died in Afghanistan and you know, it doesn't stop. The pain never stops, even though she was a baby. Um, for you, in you know, like the PTSD is real. Uh, is are you okay and your family okay? Yeah, there's also post traumatic growth, uh, and you know, our our goals to our families. Um, I, I know many of them. Twenty five uh, were killed on my deployment. Twenty five Marines, and so uh, three Marines in my platoon. So I I, uh, I have spent the last decade uh, with these people. And, and, and like you said, the, the, it's, it's, it doesn't go away. It's something that they live with every day. And, uh, but uh, ultimately um, the adversity that I, that we went through, ultimately that the hardship that we went through uh, refines our character and makes us stronger men. Uh, and so I, I, I've got to a place where I have gratitude uh, 
for that adversity and, and, and growth. And, you know, in, in terms of uh, the challenges or the trauma associated with, with those missions, it's, it's something that, is, you know, writing this book is, is helpful. It's cathartic. It, it helps make meaning of some of the things. Um, so I've, I've got a great wife, uh, my faith, my wife, my friends, my family. I've got a great support network that has, has helped me kind of work through this in different seasons. And so some, some days are tougher than others, but uh, ultimately uh, it would always, it'll always be my greatest uh, honor to have had the privilege to, to lead these young men in combat. And so I, I for, for that, I am grateful. And you stay busy. You know, you went on to get your master's at Georgetown um, and you're currently uh, teaching at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, uh, correct? Yeah, I, I wrapped up teaching at the Naval Academy. I ended up going to get another graduate degree at the Naval War College, and now I'm, I'm back uh, in an infantry battalion preparing to deploy again. So, uh, yeah, we're still here. We're still fighting. We're still working. Uh, we, 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 we for sure have stayed busy. Do you, do you live in that area, the Maryland area? So I, I did when I was teaching in the Naval Academy. I was a uh, just outside of Annapolis, I was in a place called Edgewater. But uh, yeah, I spent um, you know three years uh, in the area. Yeah, that's where I'm from originally. And buddy lives up there. He he consults at the Naval Academy. He graduated there years ago, and I remember him telling me in high school, "I was like, man, why aren't you going? You know, my dumbass. I'm saying, why aren't you going to play football in college, man? You know, you're good enough, even if it's a small school." He's like, his heart was set on going to the Naval Academy, you know, which is not easy to get into. And he finally gets the recommendation uh, from an admiral, an ex-admiral, actually, that my mother knew. <laughs> so we helped him get okay. it. We helped him get in there. But I ne- I'll never forget the night he said to me, he goes, you understand when you graduate from the Naval Academy, all you have to do is show that ring. And and he's right. And he's smart. He went on to MIT and, you know, and I, I forgot what he did. He did something nuclear, blah, blah, blah on submarine. I mean, the guy's just way smart. Um, and they won't leave him alone. They always want him to come back and teach and this and this and that. And he still lives up in the area. So, uh, it's just, it's, it's always interesting to hear those stories. Now you said that you're getting ready to deploy again, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, can, That's correct. can you say where you're going? We'll, we'll deploy to the Pacific. Oh, so it, it, it is to that point right now. I mean, like the stuff that you hear and see on the news, it's real. Uh, you've always got Marines in the Pacific somewhere, um, Marine expeditionary units. You've got Marines, uh, in, in, in Japan, Marines in Australia, Marines in Korea. You've got, uh, we're always positioned forward, um, to provide some reassurance to our allies that, Hey, we're in the area and, and also to deter our enemies. So at any, any given moment, you've got Marine units for deployed in the Pacific region. Uh, and so that's, uh, will be one of those units, uh, for deployed to the Pacific region. You're not worried that it could be more than that or turn into more than that. Well, it could always turn into more than that. You know, no one, no, on, on September 10th, no one thought that they were going to be going to the, in Afghanistan in a couple of weeks. And, no. you know, so you, 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 you never, uh, you, you never know until you know. And so, uh, that's why you, you maintain a high state of readiness. That's why you train, train like you fight. And, uh, because you never know when your number's going to get called. And um, so if, if it, if I, again, I'm a, I'm a big peace advocate as a guy who has had to pick up the body parts of young men and write letters to their mom. Uh, I'm a big peace advocate as a guy who now has three children under three. I hope I get to 
I hope I don't have to ever fight again and I get to see my kids uh, grow up. And so, uh, but ultimately I'm in the profession of arms. Uh, and so if need be, uh, I'll go do violent things where my nation uh, asked me to do, but uh, uh, hopefully that, that won't be required. But yeah, we'll, we'll be ready. You know, the Marine Corps is, like I said, a force in readiness and, and we stay ready. What, what do you think, just hypothetically speaking, you know, if, if something were to happen with the United States and China and then obviously Russia being involved, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I, 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 uh, I would point you towards the, 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 uh, the national defense strategy. There's a, there's an unclassified version of the national defense strategy that, that you can read. It, it's very China Pacific. Uh, I, I would point you towards some of the documents that the, the Marine Corps published that are available for, for the public. They're unclassified, uh, called like a stand in force or uh, force design 2030. Uh, th- there's all kind of, um, people who are much smarter than me, uh, who have, who have shaped the, the, what they expect, uh, how this battle or this war will, will play out. And so, uh, again, I, am I'm, I'm an, I'm an operations officer at an infantry battalion. Uh, I know how we'll fight. Um, but I, I don't want to, uh, make any speculation and, and there's plenty of places with, with people who have, who are actually shaping what that Pacific campaign would look like. And there's some insights that you can glean from uh, other sources that are, are more informed than, than I am. It scares the hell out of me. I mean, just terrifying. I mean, like, you know, you read that this is the apocalypse. I mean, when you take the big three and everybody's got a, a button, uh, you just and, and there's some crazies involved. Right. It just scares the living daylights out of me. So I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, always faithful. Is the name of the book. Story of the war in Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul. Kabul. I keep saying Kabul. Kabul. And the unshakable bond between a Marine and an interpreter. Uh, Major Tom Schumann and Zach is what the story is about. Fascinating, compelling, educational. Thank you for that. Again, uh, thank you for your service. You are a Purple Heart recipient. And, uh, you know, other than that, just please come back to us after your deployment and hopefully nothing escalates and we can move on with a peaceful world and life at some point, hopefully for, for our kids. Right. Yes, sir. Yes. All right. Thank you, Major Tom. Thanks for having me. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Look, doing a new kitchen or bath, that's a big undertaking, right? So you want to go to somebody that's like a one-stop shop, like UCI Kitchen and Bath. They've been Atlanta's number one cabinet, granite, and quartz fabricator and installer for the past 20 years. That's what I'm talking about, a one-stop shop. Uh, They provide the installation of whatever you buy. Speaking of, you mentioned the BS, the Bailey Show podcast, and you're getting 10% off your regularly priced countertops. That's a nice little savings, right? You can visit the Norcross Georgia showroom location. Let their design team transform your kitchen and bathroom into a beautiful and functional environment to fit your personality. It's just upping your property value. You can get with all the latest trends because they got them right there on the showroom. Servicing all of Georgia and parts of Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. How do you get a hold of them? Very simple. UCIGranite.com. The letters UCI, the word granite.com. 
help you help your business get to the next level. And you do that by incorporating create graphics in there, whether it's vehicle wraps, corporate events you might be having, interior, exterior events, graphic design and apparel. Create Graphics is a full service graphics company that specializes in graphic design, wide format printing and graphic installation excellent customer service where every project is going to get that one-on-one experience from start to finish creategraphics.net c-r-e-a-t-e-g-r-a-p-h-i-x.net or you can call 770-369-9962 770-369-9962 son of a bitch i'll be loving you forever just as long as you subscribe to the bailey show nobody is going to save you now If you like what you hear then get a full 7 days a week plus of new content by subscribing. Podcastabs.com It's better than radio. And back to you Jason. The compact disc is how old do you think? Mm, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm almost 40, so I don't know, maybe 30 years. 30 years, Nikki? CDs came out probably when I was 10 or 11. So, yeah, I'm going to say about 32 years. 32 years. Brandon, any guesses? Oh, CDs. I'm pretty sure they came out before I was born. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 27. 27. Now, 40 years old. Damn. 40? Yeah, 40 years old. Oh, wow. First CD came out in 1982. They cost more than $20 each. The first release, the first release on CD, do you want to guess the artist? You'll never guess the the title, but you might be able to guess the artist. 1982. I was born in 82. I'll give you, I'll give you a clue. Michael Jackson? No, not Michael Jackson. Uh, He gives good head. Meatloaf? How do you know? <laughs> now, and there's a reason why I said it like that. By the way, George Michael. Mm-mm. No, he's not gay. No, um, he's got two first names. Lionel Richie. No, good guess though. But how would he That's give great. good head? Why? Why? What would make you? She just seems like a guy that could do it well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the blind piano guy. The blind piano guy. Stevie Wonder? Yeah, there you go. No. That's not, not st- two first names. You're getting warmer, though. Ray Charles. No. Uh, now that's two first uh, names. Wrong, right said Fred. Wrong, wrong community. <laughs> uh, right said Fred. Put, but no. <laughs> You're like just missing one out of those four. Out of the out of the four, because he is the. What do all three of those artists have in common? They play the piano. Who's the fourth one? That plays the piano. You've got to be kidding me! Oh, oh, oh! The guy that sings, uh, uh, Louis Armstrong. No, he didn't play the piano. He played the <laughs> like trumpet, he did the, the trumpet or trombone, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Are you fucking kidding I me? I said Elton John. I, and I told you you're wrong. I said, this is the fourth <clears throat> piano man. Who is it? 
Oh, uh, Billy Joel. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I want to slap <laughs> all of you. Like, like only four people play the fucking piano? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? You name, you name me a fifth great pianist. pianist. You, you, I can name you four. <laughs> yes, you could. Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Elton John, and Billy Joel. Mainstream-wise, somebody name me uh, a, 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 an artist that is just does a great job on the piano. Alicia Did Lionel Keys. Richie not play the piano? I'm sure he plays the piano, but he's not known as. I mean, fucking Billy Joel's song, "The Piano Man." <laughs> yeah, he's not talking about himself though. It's a little con. Uh, I think, a little uh, braggadocious. I, I think he was being braggadocious. <laughs> braggadocious. What? What about Vanessa Carlton? <laughs> I don't think she was really playing. <laughs> I think she was Millie Vanilli in it. <laughs> To be quite honest with you, I don't think she was that. I mean, there are a lot of artists play the piano. Axl Rose plays the piano. Uh, uh, Chris Martin plays the piano well from Coldplay. Uh, Freddie Mercury played the piano well. You know, but they weren't known as pianist. Pianist. Pian- what are they called? Pianist? Pianist. Pian- no, I think it's pianist. I think it's pianist. It sounds like penis, but it's pianist. Like, oh, you're pianist. a it's It's pianist. What about Freddie Mercury? I just said that. Freddie Mercury. But oh, you did? Yeah, but he is not known as a penis. Pianist. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of dudes known as penis. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Billy Joel, first CD, 52nd Street. That was the first release on CD, which I did not know. I was always under the, I always thought Bruce Springsteen had the first CD. Why? Uh, just because that's what I, I I thought I read that some I thought that was like one yeah. of those trivia questions like what for, what was it it might be it, Bruce Spring it's Bruce Springsteen had something to do with it I know maybe he had the first commercial commercially <laughs> pressed CD or something I don't know uh, it's not even in this article though the uh, the very first CD was produced actually at a German factory in August of eighty two. It's unclear what it was. They don't know. This, you know how much CD players cost when they first came out? 1982. Uh, oh, like $400. Try a grand. Oh, yeah. I remember they're expensive. Even on um, Wedding Singer, you know, when uh, the douchebag guy comes back and get brings a CD player, and he's, it's like a big deal, and it's in a big box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, we'll go get our cassettes or our records or whatever. Like, no, Jules, it plays a fucking CD. <laughs> Come on, Jules. <laughs> J- Julie Gulia. Yeah. Uh, it seems random to suddenly be selling 52nd Street on a shiny disc, no matter how much you like. Uh, it was actually the case. There were 50 albums released on CD at once. 52nd Street just gets the special distinction because it had the first catalog number. The first commercially produced CD player was the Sony CDP-101 in 82. It cost about 1000 bucks. There were some deluxe players that went for 1500 By the mid-'80s, the average player sold for 300 to $600. Same with VCRs. I remember when VCRs first came out. They were ridiculous. They are stupid-priced. You're right yeah. about Bruce. It says his Born in the USA was the first music CD that was pressed in the U.S. Oh, so I even said it correctly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I thought he had something to do with it. They don't mention it. Yeah. That used to be a trivia question on Smart Marta. That's probably where you heard it. Mm, I knew it before that. I don't want to take it <laughs> away from yeah. Smart Marta. But. <laughs> Uh, the first CDs cost about twenty bucks a piece. By the mid '80s, they settled around eleven to fifteen dollars, uh, which would be about thirty dollars in today's money. 
And now they're back up to 20. <laughs> yeah. T- 10 years later, Columbia House was selling 10 CDs for a penny. Jeez. Yeah. 1985, three years after the CD's debut, there were about 2,600 CD titles available, which is a lot. But by comparison, around 50,000 titles were being printed on vinyl at the time. So vinyl was still being printed in 82. I was seven years old. Uh, I listened to records as... I, I don't I, my first I I remember my first CD and I was in fifth grade. So how what year would that have been? That would have been eighty eighty nine. I was a freshman. So it's been like so I guess yeah, like eighty three, eighty four, huh? So I wasn't too far. Uh, I probably got it when they started going down in price. Um, but yeah. my my first CD was New Kids on the Block. That oh, might have been mine too. Really, Simpatico. Yeah, yeah Jinx. Another pillowcase. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Did you bite it? <laughs> I just wanted to drool on Jordan. <laughs> but th- but then I redeemed myself because my second CD was Appetite for Destruction. So and I kept him in a a, a, a Fila shoebox, and that was my <laughs> that was my CD holder, and it was standing on it was it was on top of one of my large speakers, you know, the stand up speakers, and I only had two CDs. And even at that age, I knew my OCD was kicking in. It's like, I got to fill this up. I've got to fill this up. So I would just buy CDs with any money that I could come up with. Always just going to, I always remember them being like $14. I remember that's how much I'd usually pay for a CD is like $14. Yeah, it seems about right. It was a little less than 20, but more than 10. Yeah. And somewhere then, in between. And, and then if it were any lower than that, you would know that the CD is either not that good or it's been out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt yeah, it was like on clearance <laughs> and I, and I always felt like I had to buy the CD on display because I, I needed to keep up with the Joneses, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like the popular one. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know why this stands out so vividly, but the day that I bought Bush's 16th stone and soul asylums, grave dancers union CD, they both were in display on display at the corner CD shop in the Sarasota Square Mall. And I went in and bought it. I was familiar with Bush. I might have been familiar. The only reason I was familiar with Bush is because one of my best friends was a big music guy. And he introduced me to Bush and Monster Magnet and those types of bands. And I was like, I got to buy it. And I remember the guy's like, yeah, it's 32 something, something. I'm like, oh my God. Jesus. I was like, I got to go to the bank. Hold on. You know, because, you know, most <laughs> didn't have a credit card. So yeah. you just had cash. I was like, oh, all I have is $20 on me. Sorry. <laughs> you got to go to the ATM. You're running around the mall. You go to the ATM, you take out only $20. <laughs> you come back. He's like, here. I'm like, now yeah, look at this. I got money left over. I got $7. I go to Boardwalk Fries. It's very exciting. Um, so yeah, the uh, 40 years of the CD, the first CD ROM. Th- now this is what I was told. There was the, the guy that invented the first CD ROM is a Japanese gentleman and his son, he also invented Sega and his son opened up this athletic facility in Wesley Chapel, Tampa that I used to train at, uh, when I lived over there in that, that part of town. And I just remember them telling me that. I was like, how much money does this guy have just from the CD? He invented the CD-ROM, you know, like the the writable CDs. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know, he probably licensed it 
like the guy that licensed those little damn reflectors on the interstate where he gets like a tenth of a penny for each one, I think. <laughs> Can you imagine licensing licensing the CD-ROM? And then one night it just stops. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> fuck you, cloud. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Man, Nobody carries my software anymore. This sucks. <laughs> you, you, you don't buy software. You don't need a CD-ROM. So, and then, and then when I was a kid, you know, it was, um, I, I, I feel fortunate enough to, to grow up to at least get a little taste of the eight track cassette. My first piece of music was meatloaf bad out of hell on eight track knew nothing about meatloaf. I just loved the, uh, the art, the artwork, you know, it was the, you know, flame and the motorcycle jumping out of hell with the skull guy. And it was like bad out of hell. And I just felt like I was rebellious and that was probably like 80, 81 or something, you know, bought it at Sears or wherever it was, played it in my mom's Chevrolet Cordova, and she, and she was familiar with meatloaf. So I was like, well, that's cool. She's like, Jay, sure, you're like, you like meatloaf. I was like, yeah, mom. He was like, oh, because yeah, he, I, th- no, this was, his, that was his first album, Bad Out of Hell, right? Uh, let me look. Not positive. Because meatloaf had been around since the 70s, I thought. Then he had Bad Out of Hell 2, and then... It says Live at the Bottom Line is his first. Yeah. Released in 1977. Okay, so my mom must have been familiar with that. And then Bad Out of Hell was, you know, uh, Once Bitten, or... No, not Once Bitten. No, it's a different band. Um, I forget the playlist on that. But it was good. I memorized the whole thing. Yeah, oh, Bad Out of Hell was 77 also. Was 77. Okay, well, there's no way I bought it in 77. I would have been two years old. So I bought I bought that. It had to have been in the early eighties. Yeah, he he did Midnight at the Lost and Found in eighty three, and Death Ringer in eighty one, and Bad Attitude in eighty four. Uh, okay, so maybe I got to the second one. Uh, probably probably that was it. Eighty four sounds about the wheelhouse that I would have purchased it. Yeah, and then my first cassette was Huey Lewis in the News. My first cassette Sports. was another bad creation. See that 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 see you, good 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 song of band, but it's not it's not a classic. Yes, it is. Those little boys singing ABC at the playground. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they they ripped off the Jackson Five. Wh- whatever you want to call them, that yeah. was my first cassette. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's not like when listen to when I say I bought Meatloaf, you know, or Huey Lewis in the News. Huey Lewis in the News. Why well, got an album up on my wall? You know, up there, sports. That's what it is. My grandmother's like, Josh, is this about sports broadcasting? <laughs> I said no, Graham. So what is this? She looked at the, some of the songs. She's like, "I want a new drug. What is that about? Why is that there? Why are they talking about that? This has nothing to do with sports." Well, little did she know, years later, it had a lot to do with sports. <laughs> she had no idea. She took it. So, one of my favorite CDs that I ever owned was a double box set of Woodstock. I want to say it was '99, but it could have been the '93 version. Can you can you look up uh, what the play uh, the the band list was for ninety Woodstock? It was at ninety three and ninety nine. They did, you know, um, and gr- green. It was probably ninety three. No, it was ninety three. It was not ninety nine. I can tell you that right now because it had Green Day on it. Green Day did not play ninety nine. It had uh, Violent Femmes on it. They did not play in ninety nine. They played the Woodstock ninety three. I think it was 94. 94. Okay, so Woodstock 94. Yeah, Woodstock, the original uh, 69. 
Then you had the the let's try it again in 94. And then you had the disaster in 99. Yeah. So which which lineup do you want? Well, I, I answer my own question. 94. Oh, okay. 94 had Green Day, Violent Femmes. Uh, uh, maybe. The, the headliners were Metallica, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Aerosmith. Green Day was on the on the bill, though, right? I mean, it's it's like one of those posters. So I got to go and look at the little. Because Green uh, Day did not play 99. Uh, I just got done watching that train wreck. Oh yeah, they are. They were on the last day at the very last stage. Yeah, yep. and Violent Femmes were were they played as well? Blistering the sun. I don't see them on here. They're on the CD. I know they are. It's like, oh, that's cool. It was one of my favorites. 99 yeah. had Limp Bizkit, had Offspring, The Offspring, had uh, Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow. And if you watch this train wreck, I thought I had seen it, but I guess I saw a different one about Woodstock 99. The, I guess there was one on HBO. So when I had cable, maybe that's what I watched. So I'd been pushing off watching this train wreck documentary. I was like, I've seen it. And everybody on our social media kept saying, telling me to watch it. So I was like, I think I've seen it. So one night, Rach and I, and it's like a four or five part episode or season or something like that, uh, or docuseries. And I started watching. I was like, we haven't seen this. And like, it opens up with a very young Miz from the WWE. Oh. Who, who just was a guy that, the, that was at the concert. You know, he, he was a nobody then. And so uh, it opens up that it's the same guy that put on the original Woodstock, but everything about the Woodstock 99 was wrong. And like when you break it down, it was really wrong. Like the idea behind Woodstock, the whole concepts and really any festival is to get people together for one reason, one reason, one reason only. That's the love of music, right? You sit there, you don't talk about anything. You don't want to deal with anything else, but it's kind of hypocritical because Woodstock, even though it was peace, love and all that kind of stuff, they were, it was, it was the hippie revolution and they were protesting the war, right? The military was bad. Like the FBI is bad now, right? The military was bad then. It's all the military's fault. Not that they get orders. It's the military's fault. You know, they're, they're, they're over there. It's blame them for killing babies, Blame the FBI because it's the FBI's fault. It's, it, we go through it every like 30 years. We got to blame somebody, <laughs> some branch, you know, which has nothing to do with it other than doing their job. Mm. You know, a couple, yeah. year, couple years ago, we were blaming every single ICE uh, employee for putting illegal immigrants in cages, kids in cages, the pictures that we'd see. They were doing their job. That's what they signed up for, Right. You know, you don't want any of these people to go rogue. You know, even if you don't agree with what they're doing, doesn't mean they should not do their job. That's like if you work at a grocery store and you're like, I can't believe they're charging you $3.99 for this thing of milk. I'm giving it to you for $1.50. If everybody went rogue, we'd have a huge problem. I know that sounds like very much of a libertarian type of thing to say, but it's true. You follow orders. You do what your job tells you to do. That's why you sign. There's, there has to be some kind of thing, whether you agree with it or not, right? People hated the ice people because they were putting the kids in. It's your fault. No, you're fuck. They're doing their job. That's what they're doing. Uh, same with the FBI, same with the military back in the Vietnam days. 
So anyway, Woodstock was really, a it was very political. And it wasn't as, you know, lovey-dovey as everybody wants to think it was. There was a lot of bad things that happened there. There were sexual assaults. There were fights. There were so on and so forth. It just wasn't um, commercialized. It was commercialized as the peace love thing. So you bring it back in 94. It was what it was. You know, the, the big takeaway from 94 is how much water rained down on them and the mud and the mud fights and stuff, which I thought made for a cool festival, like if you were there. 99, totally different element. Society was different. And this is in my wheelhouse. Like these kids that just totally destroyed that Air Force base, they were me. You know, we were angry frat kids. That's what we were. Wearing our khaki shorts just below our hips with a belt on and our underwear jacked up and our baseball caps backwards. That's who we were. <laughs> that's who was at 99. And that's who fucked everything up. You know, and they try to blame Limp Biscuit. I know we've had this conversation before. Is it Limp Biscuit's fault or not? You know, it's a, I think a, a 50 50 split, right, on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that's usually where the blame goes. Because they're like, it's hot. They're angry. They're angry because you're charging them $4 for a bottle of water. That's why they're angry. They're angry. They're angry because the toilets are overflowing. That's why they're angry. They're angry because they just paid $150, which in today's standards is not a lot of money for all those bands for three days. But you have them sleeping on fucking asphalt in the middle of summer, and they've got nothing to drink, and they can't afford to eat. And, uh, you know, they're 48 hours into a 72-hour festival run and they're broke they're hungry they're dehydrated they're tired what do you what do you think happens you get angry you know that's why the terrorists pop up during the summertime because it's so fucking hot in afghanistan they're just like i gotta kill something you know so have you seen it nikki do you, do you know anything about the woodstock 99 no oh you got it it was uh they had rap artists there too you know they had um they had dmx so you think i've seen it because rap artists was there no, I think that you wouldn't be interested because you're not interested in the music. Oh, okay. That's what I was saying. All right. And because you like rap. How do you know I like rap? Because you just said you liked uh, your first album was... Uh, That's R&B. Creation Station. Or That's whatever another it was. bad creation. Another bad creation. That was kind of rap. What's the rap I know song? What you're, I know what you're getting at right now, and it's not because you're an African-American woman. <laughs> That I'm saying these things. <laughs> there were a few African Americans there. A few? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> if you if you watch the if you watch the docuseries, look out in the crowd. <laughs> they were too smart to go. <laughs> They're like, you stupid white people, why don't you go sleep on the asphalt in the middle of summer in New York? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They're really it was a very white crowd. An angry white crowd. And I just don't remember being angry. Like, I was, I guess I was angry. I guess I've always been an angry kid. The Gen Xers was an angry generation. We were the latchkey generation. So we had some probably issues deep down inside with parents and not having said parent around or in our lives or whatever the case may be. It was a Gen X thing. I get it. But I don't know if it, would make me angry enough to rip plywood off the soundstage tower and then push it down and light it on fire in the middle of a concert. I don't think I was that angry. (laughs) You've got to be really, really angry to do that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, some of the bands that they're those people that were doing it or listening to probably amped them up. Well, and that's that's kind of what they they get to uh, in Trainwreck is the first night Corn closed, and that was when Corn was at their pinnacle. You know, Freak on a Leash, Adidas, and uh, you know all that stuff. And I love Corn. Don't get me wrong. And and Jonathan Davis, they have him on this documentary. He's like, I just have never seen anything like it. You know, two hundred plus thousand people in the palm of your hands. And as soon as they go, are you ready? And everybody goes crazy. I mean, you could only, he's like, I'm still, I'm getting goosebumps now. You can only imagine what that feels like, the power to be able to do that. And then everybody was waiting for the next night closing out with Limp Biscuit. And Limp Biscuit was arguably just as big, if not bigger than Corn in 99. Uh, and this was still the Nookie days. I don't think they had put out Roland yet. And so everybody was ready. Fred Durst is the definition of the angry white 90s kid, right? He's just furious. And he comes out there, and Break Stuff is the anthem for that. And uh, the, the promoters are sitting there going, dude, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do something else. What else did you want him to do? He doesn't, they don't, they didn't, at the time, they didn't have any ballads. You know, it wasn't until later that they, that they, they threw in the uh, Behind Blue Eyes, the Who's cover. You know, so they, they didn't, they didn't do any slow songs. It was, that's, those, those new metal artists were all in your face. Name me a slow song from fucking corn, right? <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist, <laughs> you know? So that, that, it was, it, that was the equivalent of metal, you know, at the, at the time. And it, it, the crowd just went nuts when he started playing it. And they start ripping off the boards, blowing it up, and setting fires, and s- stole a vehicle and drove it into uh, an airplane hangar while they were having a rave with like twenty thousand people. And Fat Boy Slim was DJing, and they pulled him out of there. And then everybody started throwing shit at Fat Boy Slim. I mean, he, <laughs> he got in his bus and went straight to the airport. And left. I mean, it was they were terrified. They were scared for their lives. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Didn't you say something about one time about like Carson Daly? They like kicked him out or, or something, or like they kicked the MTV people out. Was that the same one? So, again, at this time, um, and a lot of you, you, you know, remember this, or th- this is kind of making sense now. So, MTV was, had reinvented itself. You know, MTV, when it launched in the 80s, was very rebellious. It was, uh, I I want my MTV. You know, it was rock and roll music. And still in the 80s, rock and roll music to the boomer generation, this rock and this type of rock and roll was just not acceptable. Uh, You know, and every generation's kind of got their thing. I think that's kind of being watered down as, as, as we go along. But so... It was. I always look at the the fire, the MTV fire, when their when their place in New York burned down, and it's like the mid '90s or something. And then they built it up new again, and they just revamped it. They got all new VJs. Carson Daly being one of them. Carson Daly was horrible when he first started, and you know, rightfully so. Most people are when they first start a, a gig like that. And the the it was dial one eight hundred dial MTV or something. It wasn't even TRL Live, which was Total Request Live, which they dumbed it down to TRL Live. Then it was that that surge in music in the, the late 90s and the early 2000s. So we had another spike in music, but it was a different spike. You had different genres spiking. You had rock, which 
kind of, you know, corn never went to top 40. Um, Limp Biscuit, I don't think ever went to top 40, but the top 40 audience knew who they were. Right. It was very, very weird. And rock radio had to find a place for them because it didn't fit into what they were playing before because it still kind of sounded like rap. So it was a very confusing time for radio and even the audience. But, you know, but they were catering to what the generation was. But then you had this other generation of pop blowing up Backstreet Boys in sync, 98 degrees. Uh, Boys to Men, all these bands were in the pop world and they were overshadowing the rock world. And this was like one of the first times the rock audience got a, a, a dose of like, hey, you're not the tough guy anymore. We are. Because you like Backstreet Boys? No, because more people like Backstreet Boys than they like Corn <laughs> or Limp Bizkit or something like that. So there was this definitely gearhead fight of, you know, even the offspring during Woodstock 99, they put up cutouts of the Backstreet Boys and they beat them up, you know, and they're like, fuck the Backstreet Boys. You know, it was like the anti bag Limp Bizkit takes shots at Chris Kirkpatrick in, you know, one, uh, one of his songs, right? And Christina Aguilera and Carson Daly. But back to MTV was catering to the, this pop world and they were out at this rock concert. And so after a while, people were like, fuck you, you're the enemy. Carson Daly, you bitch. You know, because Carson Daly does, you know, he, rock and roll, I'm Carson Daly. Now, you're not. Matt Pinfield's a rocker. Ricky Rockman's a rocker. You know, those guys are rockers. Carson Daly, you're not a rocker. You know, but he's up there with his shorts and his Hawaiian shirt. and He's doing the devil horns and stuff like that. And the crowd's like, okay, Carson, <laughs> fuck you. Let's throw shit at you. <laughs> they start throwing <laughs> stuff at him. Because they didn't have any. They, I think at the time they got rid of Headbangers Ball. So there was no element of rock they were just playing it within you know total request live the limp biscuits and corn making it a very poppy stuff the the audience hated that you know i didn't care one way or the other but you know the the rock crowd hated it so they started throwing stuff there was another girl there was a, a black uh, vj very pretty i forget her name i think it was like amanda hugging kiss no, she was she was a vj for a while on mtv during that time she was really good very very talented but why they put her out there, I don't know. Like, they took her from doing MTV Summer House, like in the Bahamas, where she's in a bikini hanging out on the beach with artists and it's very chill, to, hey, let's put you in the middle of a 200,000 uh, 200, white boy people crowd in the middle of uh, summer in New York instead. That's your new assignment. And she was, she was out there in the crowd talking to people and this and that. Oh, and yeah, Nanda Lewis. Nanda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, really talented girl. I don't know what she does now, but really, really talented girl. And after a while, you know, there were so many sexual assaults at Woodstock 99 and guys started, you know, getting too close and grabby with her. And she's like, I'm out of here. And she feared for her life. She feared for her safety. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that that happens at concerts and festivals and stuff. For some reason, dudes are just like, Oh, this girl's crowd surfing. Let me grab her boobies. It's, you know, it's probably the same thing that happened. Yeah, they, they talk a lot about that. You know, the girls and they even have some of the girls on there. And, you know, what happened? They're like, I crowd surfed and I had every part of my body, every orifice, every orifice touched. I'm like, that's disgusting. You know, they, yeah. even, they even show footage. And like this guy. 
probably still alive, right? They show footage of this girl on the shoulders of somebody, and he's just standing next to her, and he looks up, and he's got this deer in headlight stare. He puts his you know thumb and his pointer finger up by her boobs and just starts squeezing on them. She's like, honk, 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 honk. And it, and it like takes her a second, and she looks down like, what are you doing? And she just slaps his hand off and then goes back to enjoying the concert. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is that? You know? So, uh, anyway, I highly recommend you watch it. Very, very good. It's not, even not a festival, Nate, you would want to have gone to. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. And you said this one's on Netflix, not on HBO? Yeah, this one's on Netflix. Like I said, I thought I'd already seen it, but I, I had not. It was the one on Netflix. And the guy that Michael... Who's the inventor of Woodstock? Was his name Michael Lang, Lang Langston or something? I think he just recently passed. Like a lymphoma or lung cancer or something of that. Michael Lang, yeah. Michael Lang. He's in the documentary, but he's no longer alive, right? He's dead. Um, yeah, he died in, oh, he died in January this year. Yeah, he just died recently. I knew that, yeah. Like lymphoma or something. But he's on the documentary, the original promoter that he buddied up with was on the documentary and uh, you know a, a guy that promoted tons of big shows but i guess was kind of an asshole <laughs> and it shows that every day they had a press they had press conferences for for woodstock 99 and they were trying to uh, sugarcoat it and it, every press conference you know there's one there's two and then by the third one the reporters are angry now too and there's like would you please fucking tell us the truth how many sexual assaults happened last night come on we know for a fact that at least 10 happened just be honest with us and they're like well as of right now we think that everybody's having a good time you know it's just this is a very <laughs> successful concert very successful concert <laughs> And I guess one of the big problems with Woodstock 94 is they didn't make any money. Same with 69. They didn't make any money. And so the idea behind Woodstock 99 was to make money. And that was part of the anger from the generation was this is where the super centralized, 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 centralization, anyway, the, the overdosing of commercialism comes into play. Oh, yeah. Sensationalized? Sensationalized. Thank you. The Boom. overdosing of commercialism comes into play. And that is, you, you know, in the, in the rock world, you don't sell out, man. You know, that kind of stuff. And then when you have, like, the Budweiser stage, you know, and all these types of things, which I get. And, and, I, and I know that's an accepted thing now, but even in 99... People are like, what the fuck, man? Why has everything got to be, you know, this? And why has it got to be this? And and, try, and, then, and then the vendors, th this was the other thing. In order to cut cost, they third-partied not only the vendors, but also the sanitation. And the sanitation guys were just like, fuck it. We're not going back out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a it's a mess out there. And it looked like a war zone the next day when people woke up. And nobody was cleaning it up. And uh, the vendors were third-party vendors. So there was no cap on what they could charge. It wasn't like they sat down with the promoters and said, okay, let's do everybody across the board, $2 a bottle of water, this and this and that. No. And by the third day, they had all changed their prices. They are charging like $10 for a bottle of water. Wow. Jeez. And yeah, that's, that's... that's when the mob started. And they're like, fuck you. And they just ran in and stole it and took it. 
You think they'd all just leave? If it, it seems terrible, why would you even want to stay there? That's what I was just thinking. Why wouldn't you just leave the festival? Well, I don't know if it was just that easy unless you had your car. Well, I guess everybody had a car, but because it, it, it was kind of still in the middle of nowhere. And that was the other thing. They did it on an Air Force base, which is the farthest thing from peace. And, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're having concerts in a hangar that used to house a bomber that would drop bombs on people and kill them. And, and now you've, you've barricaded everybody in on this Air Force base. It was not a very well thought out uh, plan, you know. Yeah, it's not like it. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Something to, that big, so poorly planned. You know, I don't know. Yeah. My very first quote unquote festival experience was music midtown. And that was the year Lizzo was here. And that's the first time I ever been in a crowd of people out on grass. And I was angry. So I kind of can get how you can be angry at those things. Why are you angry? Music midtown. There's like so much room unless you put yourself into that. No, I was crammed between these young kids. They step all over you. They don't say, excuse me. I was very angry. Nah, you're just getting old. Yeah, right. she's one hundred percent that bitch. Yeah, <laughs> that was so angry. <laughs> she, threw, she, throws her, she throws her hair back. <laughs> check my nails. <laughs> I was very angry. You, I don't think you. If you go to a festival and you put yourself in that predicament, you can't be angry because you're putting yourself in the crowd. It was my first time going, and you know I don't. I don't get VIP treatment like you all do, so I didn't get the VIP no, lounge comes. experience. I had to sit out in the lawn with everyone else, and I did not like it. Okay, well, I didn't for, go back. For your information, if I am getting VIP treatment, if I'm lucky and honored enough to get it, I decline it and go out and crowd surf. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Not at all. You have your VIP bracelet and a VIP lounge with your sipping drinks they give y'all. No, I was out in the crowd and I was angry and I was like, I don't like this and I don't want to do it anymore. If there's, there's nothing more in life that I like better than being asses to elbows with sweaty strangers rocking out to Lizzo. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would call my jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's 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 what I would. But you know, Nate, right? If you go to a festival and you put yourself in the pit or you put yourself up close to the stage, you got to expect you, you know what to expect. There pl- every festival there's a place where you don't have to be a part of that. There's plenty of green space. Even at Woodstock 99, you could have stayed in the way 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 back, but people chose not to. But now, the way 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 back would have been the way 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 back. 200,000 plus people, a lot of people. So, I mean, you're far from the stage. You know, you could still hear the music, but you are uh, you you are away from everything. But if you put yourself in that situation, it's kind of your fault. I guess, but it's not usually the situation gets worse when it's people that just are disrespectful. You know, when you're crammed in there up in the in the pit or whatever, and then some girl with big boobs that doesn't even know the band tries to squeeze through and then stands right in front of you with her seven foot tall boyfriend. I'm pissed, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. My second concert that I ever went to was Huey, Huey Lewis in the News in Fort Myers, Florida. I was, I think, in fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade. And one of her moms took us up to Fort Myers. We lived in Naples at the time. And, and I was very excited because you know, I was like, yeah, I got their cassette sports. So I was like, I got to find it so I can listen to it. And I, I, I'd been to one other concert in my life, and that was when I was 10 or 11. My neighbor 
who was older than I was, took me to the Capitol Center. So when we were moving from Maryland and took us to the cat, took me to the Capitol Center in the nosebleeds to see Frankie goes to Hollywood. And I had no idea who the band was, you know, but Frankie goes to Hollywood was, you know, pop icon band. I mean, that's why people were in fluorescent and long uh, sweatshirts and that said relax and all that weird shit. It was because of Frankie goes to Hollywood. And I didn't realize that. Anyway, I fell asleep in the middle of the concert. That's how much I was into it. So I go to this Huey Lewis in the News concert. I don't know how to dress. And this is when I first started <clears throat> getting, quote, unquote, stylish, you know, trying to find a style. Guest jeans were big. Bugle Boy was big. Z Cavaricci was big. So I remember wearing my, I only had like one or two pair of blue jeans. They're guests. I wore just a straight up denim blue guest jeans, belt, uh, probably boat shoes, a like Cherokee, uh, uh, not uh, Cherokee, but uh, 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 what's the bird? Not Cherokee, but uh, canary, canary yellow, canary yellow guest button up short sleeve shirt tucked in with a guest blue jean ja- uh, jacket on top. All right. That's how hot. <laughs> It's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> Was it wintertime? No. Sheesh. It's summer, and it's Florida, and I dress like this. And, you know, my buddies are, like, in shorts and a T-shirt, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't yeah, know. You, you could take the yacht to the, the festival? <laughs> I've got my hair, you know, done up, and we get in there, and, you know, and it's Huey Lewis in the news, and he's playing and stuff. And they're like, come on, let's get closer. You know, we're kids. We're in fifth grade, you know, at this concert. And we get we get up close, and I'm just sweating so bad. <laughs> but I didn't want to take off my jacket because I didn't want to lose it. And and, I, and on top of that, I think I bought a concert T-shirt that I put over my 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 button-up shirt. Right? <laughs> I got oh, all this clothes on. Trying to pass out. And I remember we're in the quote-unquote pit at a Huey Lewis show. I mean, taking into consideration, I'm in fifth grade, so when I say pit, it's just where everybody is close as possible to the stage. And I realized that I'm not, I'm no longer touching the floor. And I started to panic because everybody's swaying left and right. It's at a fucking Huey Lewis in the news concert. I'm not at Slipknot. I'm not at Slayer. I'm not at Metallica. I'm at a Huey Lewis in the news. I can't touch the floor. I started to panic. So I'm like, all right, calm down, Jason, calm down. And I I don't know where any of my friends are. I got to get my, I got to get out of this. So. I try to move, and when I move, I fall forwards into the back of this woman's head. And she had really long, strawy, straight black hair. It, like, went down to, like, right above her butt. But it was, it, it felt like it was, like, an SOS pad. Like, it was so... Brillo-y. Brillo-y, yeah. And when I came out of her head, her hair was stuck to my face. <laughs> I had all of her, like, I, like I'm pulling it from my face. I don't even know if she realized it. She never turned around. So I'm, like, pulling her hair from my face because it's stuck on my face because I'm hot. I'm so sweaty. And, I, and when I got pretty much done with it and I turn around to try to get out of this crowd, this dude's standing there. He goes, how was it, man? <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> I'm like, how was what? <laughs> I didn't understand. Uh, oh, you're making a, oh, down, yeah, or, okay, yeah, I got it. All right, that's what kind of joke it was. You're a funny guy right there. You're a funny guy. So, you know, but I've been in pits and uh, festivals and those kinds of things. You put yourself in the situation, you know, it's kind of your fault. I wasn't in a pit. I was on the grass. Well, not a pit, but you that's were in how the, many people were there. Yeah, but you pushed yourself as close as possible. 
No, I put myself up on a hill so I could just look down onto the stage. And at first, I was in a great spot. And all these people came around me. I was mm. there first. Okay. Okay. All right. I got you. Nate, what's the best festival you've been to? You've been to a lot of them. Uh, probably Bonnaroo. I always enjoy Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo? Yeah. Yeah, because there's a good variety. Like, there's country artists. There's hip-hop. There's pop. There's rock there's a little bit of everything and everybody's pretty cool and the the setup is really good so yeah that's probably my favorite i was always a fan of earth day birthday one of uh my former stations wjrr 101.1 in orlando rock station that earth day birthday festival i used to it, it was it was like christmas day the you know going out there early in the morning i'd get there so early before anybody else we'd have our own little setup interview all the guests the artists you know, in 2004, it kind of got weird because of the whole FCC thing. And it, I remember we had to record everything instead of doing it live. And I did not like that. And uh, then somebody had to edit it on a shortcut 360 machine. Radio people know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I always loved that. You know, um, uh, Nonpoint, they shot some of their video for um, Alive and Kicking, I think is the name of the song. I'm in that video interviewing the guys. You know, but I talk. I talked to every artist. We had, we had such great artists every year. Uh, the guy Rick Everett, who you know really is the the head for for putting that on. He's the uh, operations manager for the uh, iHeart cluster down there, and he's a buddy of mine. He just does such an amazing job. But like every artist that you can think of, especially during that new rock alternative, they just came up and talked to us. Serge Tankian from System of a Down, Draymond from Disturbed. Um, I was not there for the Offspring. They they did that the year before I got there. Aaron Lewis from Stain, eh. uh, Rob Zombie, you know, uh, Sully Erna, Godsmack, you know, uh, all those guys. Shannon Larkin. I mean, it was just so cool. You know, we had Velvet Revolver one year. You know that with uh, you know um, some Wylan and Slash and Duff and and uh, it was awesome. It's just uh, those, 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 that was always my favorite festival, and you were there all day. Yeah, get there, yeah like, but that wasn't like a festival experience. You worked there, so you were doing all these things nobody else was doing. So yes, you're correct. you got to pick. You got to pick one that you enjoyed being in the crowd the whole time. You are correct. But, I mean, you, you probably got time off, and you're you're going around the different stages and stuff. You, you're right. It, it, you're right. It, a lot of it was because I was working and I enjoyed it. Yes. If I were going as a fan, now I have gone as a fan before. You know when did I did you sit in the crowd? I did the regular smegulars, not in VIP. I went back and forth. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I had to go to the bathroom at some point. <laughs> no, but I had friends out there. Uh -huh, I bet you did. Yeah, but you weren't out there because you know I was out there. Yeah, no, you weren't. I yeah. I don't tell me I was not. I was. What to go grab something to eat? I, I tell you, this is what I would do if there were bands that I really wanted to see. One in particular that I always loved to see is Hollywood Undead. Uh, I'm a big Hollywood Undead fan. Love that band. Love that band. Love that band. And I would go out in the crowd to watch them. Oh, okay. and get and get as as m most of the bands that I'd seen before. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like there are very few bands that I'm yearning to see front and center. It's just maybe that's the business that's gotten me jaded like that because I've seen so many of them. Now, if it were the Rolling Stones or you know, I went and saw Elton John, but if I had a chance to be first person, even if I'm getting squished 
at the front of the stage to see Elton John or Rolling Stones, you know, or the Who, even though I'm not huge fans of any of these artists, it's still the point of they are who they are. I would have, I would do that. But other than that, I can't name a band that I would fight a crowd to, 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 to be up front and center to see. Well, I was front and center for Disney child. Well, so I've been there too. Uh, that's where I saw uh, Beyonce's vagina. Allegedly. No, no, I was. <laughs> now, I was not in the crowd at that time. I was. I was in the crowd, on the stage, right up front, yeah. looking at everything. She's great, isn't she? Destiny Child was great. Yeah. I well, Beyonce, all of them. All of them, but Beyonce especially. She was She was okay. Queen Bee, right? That's what we she call her. She's that Queen Bee. That's what they call her. Yeah. She's got a new album out. She does. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, Controversial. It's, it's the jam. I don't know. What's it called? She has one like Lemonade, right? That's all. No, she has a new one that she literally uh, just dropped like two weeks yeah, ago. It's called Sugar oh, Free. Sugar Free Lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> Very controversial album. She said a word that she had to go in and change. Right? Uh, not a word. And she didn't really have to change it. She just took Khalees off of it. So she she got some heat. She did some of the milkshake uh sample. Then she has a song called Church Girl that pastors are pretty pissed about. So she has some controversial things She's, going on. Yeah. I mean, because th- that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> 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 That's just all organic, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> she, she had no idea. And probably no one complained about it. It was her camp that made the story up. This is how we sell albums. And people still believe all that shit. All right, uh, Brandon, you've been a mute this entire segment, so I'm hoping that you have a question worthwhile. I don't know if you're sleeping. I don't know if you're in a coma, <laughs> what you're doing, but you have not joined in. People think it's my fault you don't talk on this podcast. You have a microphone. You just don't say anything. Yeah, I'm just feeling real sweaty right now. I feel a little slippery, and I'm just trying to think about that, trying not to sweat as much. This is why he doesn't talk, because he's like, it's one thing at a time. And once he starts thinking about being slippery and sweaty, he's got nothing to say. That's all he thinks about for hours, you know? So it's not my fault. He doesn't talk. I pause, talk. Nikki finds a place to talk. I do. I just jump right in. But why are you sweaty, Brandon? Uh, I think it's because there's not a lot of ventilation down here in the, in the studio and there's no air vents and it's just kind of stagnant. And I'm in this robe. I need to, I should have put my summer robe on. This is more of my, uh, winter robe. Well, why don't you yeah, put you on some bust clothes? Out the silk line. Thank you. You get up in the on? morning and you, and you put on clothes. <laughs> put on clothes. You don't stay in your fucking robe till you know four o'clock in the afternoon. Why don't you just stay until about twelve? You know, it's still morning time. Well, why don't you? You know, if you're going to run a business, you can't wear a robe in the morning. You wear a robe at night first and foremost. Uh, you <laughs> know, you wear a hoodie in July like a normal person. I, or August. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you something. It was it was chilly this morning. You know, we got that nor'easter coming through, and we got we got degrees in like seventies. It definitely was not chilly this morning. See? And Brandon, you need to take that robe off. Robes are hot. Put on you a yes, t shirt. Put on you uh uh something like what Nate has on a tank top. Like you're being crazy over there. Yeah, yeah I don't have any tank tops, but I mean I rolled my sleeves up. That seems to help a little bit. Oh my god. I rolled my pants up too. <laughs> and by the way, I'd like a, a a little appreciation for being the oldest on the show is my blood's a little bit thinner than everybody else's. <laughs> so I gotta wear my sweaters. You're yeah, in gotta, the house, Jason. 
I know. It's it's getting warm now. I got to take it off. I don't know. I feel more secure when I've got long sleeves. Did you ever notice that when I did the radio show? It didn't matter if it was summer or not, but every day I'd have long sleeves on. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it was cold, so you had a, at least an out with that. It wasn't that cold in the studio. Usually radio studios are really, really cold because you want to make sure the board doesn't overheat and stuff. But, I mean, you could easily wear T-shirt and shorts in, in the radio studio. I just I feel when I'm when I'm doing a show, I like to have long sleeves on. Okay. And a hoodie. I don't know. It just make me makes me feel more confident in what I'm saying. Is that odd? It's weird. I wouldn't say odd, but I mean, it's your thing, I guess. I don't know. Watch. I'm going to take this off, and I got a T-shirt underneath, and watch the next and episode. And happen? Suck. <laughs> Fucking be horrible. You're going to go mute like Brandon? <laughs> go mute like Brandon. All right, Brandon. Uh, you might have your one question. I hope you do, because I'm going to play I your do. intro here. And I'm going to rebuttal with a question, just to just so you know. So here we go. One question with Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Oh, man, I got this blister on my finger. I'm sure old Andrew, Andrew Sparks could lend me a hand and pop it for me. He does all kinds of good stuff like that, but mainly he does his mowing, trimming, and edging. Yeah, you heard that right. Sparky's Lawn Service, veteran-owned and operated since 2020. Uh, you know, this spring, this summer, this fall, getting into it, going to have some cleanup. Uh, give him a call or shoot him a text, which is probably more convenient. He's a busy man. 706-897-2199. Or if you'd like to email people, uh, there's sparkyslawn at gmail.com. All right, hold on. It, please don't call Andrew Sparks if you've got a blister. I don't know where that came from. He's, he's a businessman. He's a professional. I don't need Andrew Sparks' phone blowing up with requests to pop blisters on your fingers. <laughs> But, you know, he does, you know, little side things. I I understand what you're trying to say, but audiences have a tendency of taking things literally. Okay. So don't call Sparky's Lawn Service for your blisters. Anyway, go ahead. What's your one question? All right. uh, So I was thinking about this. I was laying on the couch and I was looking at the ceiling and then I realized uh, I was also sweating then at the same time. And uh, I was thinking, is the opposite of opposite the same or is it opposite? What is the opposite of opposite the same or is it opposite? Correct. Wow. (laughs) Mind blown. The opposite. So if I'm going to do the opposite of stand, I'm going to sit. That would be the opposite. But if you're doing the opposite like you just did the opposite. Do the yeah. It would be the, the it would be the opposite. Yes, it would not be the same. It would be the opposite because you're looking at it from a noun versus a verb. Like I'm doing the op, opposite. Would be a verb, right? You're doing the opposite. Am I really supposed to understand this? Oh yeah, this happens <laughs> every Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Opposite is an adjective, I believe. It's an adjective? Okay, so it's describe. Sure. Like, can it be numerous things? Oh, my goodness. I know. I think you're oppositing. Yeah, you're not opposite. Doing the opposite. Doing the opposite. Gosh. Doing would be the verb. It's funny, uh, Nikki. Brandon asks these ridiculously stupid questions, and you know what it does? It makes what? the rest of us look dumber <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know how that works. Um, opposites. Is, is it an adjective? adjective? Yeah. All right. Adjective. Yep. You're right. You are correct. 
Uh, but it could be a noun. It could be an adverb. It could be a preposition. But not a verb. Be an adverb. Yeah. On or to an opposite side. Okay. So that's what I was talking about. An additional verb. Correct. I'm going to say opposite. That's my answer. Nate. Yeah, I would either say opposite or there isn't an answer because opposite is is changing whatever it is. Like, what's the opposite of day? It's night. Opposite doesn't change, so there's no opposite of opposite. It would just be you'd have to say the opposite of something. Right. It's an adjective. Okay, you're right. So it would still be opposite is what you're saying. Yeah, well, yeah. I would say it wouldn't still be opposite because I don't think that would be the answer. I think the answer is there is no answer. There is no opposite of opposite. But there's an answer for everything. No, there's not. There is. <laughs> yeah, there's an answer for every question. You might not know what the answer is, but there is an answer. There's no question that has no answer. There is no question that has no answer. Well, I just I just topped this opposite thing, didn't I? <laughs> every, <laughs> there que- is. Every, every question has an answer. There's a reason for everything. I you, don't know is not an answer. Well, I, that's because you don't know. But what you don't know, I might know. Most likely I do. <laughs> no, actually, a, a rhetorical question is a question that doesn't have an answer. True that, Nate. True that. Well, you ask a rhetorical question because you already know the answer. That's or why you just that, don't have one. That, no, because that's why you say it's a rhetorical question. That's why you have to, that's why you finish it off with, you know, they'll answer it and you'll be like, it was a rhetorical question because you already know the answer to it. Or you're not looking for an answer. But that doesn't mean there isn't an answer. You might not be, look, Brandon doesn't look for answers anywhere, (laughs) but there are plenty of answers out there. I'll fight you. I'll fight you on this one. I'm, 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 I'm very steadfast on my decision here that every question has an answer. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't so. think every question well, you, has you, an answer. You can't argue it, though, because you could sit there and give me an example of a question that you don't know the answer to, but that doesn't mean someone else doesn't know the answer. You can't give me a question that you know 100% that there's no answer to. Yeah. It, it, uh, where where was God born? Exactly. I don't know. You know exactly. So if, you don't know that there you don't know that there is an answer. So you can't answer that. So there is no answer. No, but there is an answer. Somebody's got an answer. No, no. I, if you well, let's just say um, that he was never born. Uh, that he's always existed. So there is no answer to that because he was never born. So that that is not an answer. There's well, no is, answer to that. This question. would be a Bible thing, right? You looking it up? Well, no, no, no. no. I already know what <laughs> where was God born. <laughs> no, Hoboken. It's weird. <laughs> Just off the coast of Nicaragua. <laughs> Who are you talking to? You, you got, not I'm not sh- talking to everybody. I'm trying to see if there's an answer for every question. Where, where was God born? See? That's why Google answer? exists. Well, there's yeah. a book by Bruce Feller. Um, but those are just um, those are just people's guesses. No one actually knows the answer to that question. Bethlehem was uh, that's where Jesus. That's was Jesus. Yeah. Well, you'd think that God would want Jesus born in the same hospital, right? There was no yeah, hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> um, believe the place where the church of God. Uh, where is God? Where is God came from? Uh, the Eng- oh, that's the word. Well, where was God born in the Bible? It says Bethlehem. So he was born there too. Jesus. I know, really. Not God. Oh, 
I thought you meant like <laughs> Jesus. That's a simple answer. No. Yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. There's nothing I... God was born... Oh, oh, that's it. God was born in Bethlehem of Mary. Two different hospitals, different sides of the country. Yeah. St. Mary's Bethlehem. Yeah. God was actually... This is a little known, uh, little known fact. God was actually a New Year's baby. He was the first baby born... Um, in negative uh, 554 uh, BC. Yeah. No. Yeah. The problem is it's the Trinity. It's the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't know where God was born. God just appears. But somebody knows he's got, I mean, he can't be legit unless he's got a birth certificate. So it's floating around there somewhere. Nope. No. Okay. See, there's a or question with no answer. You don't know the answer. It means you're not religious. Yeah. And you don't like God. <laughs> all right here i got i got one for you um i came up with this one the last night all right you ready okay yeah now, let me give you the hypothetical you're on your deathbed you have a good amount of money in your in the bank that you are willing to your significant other and the last words, this is the last time you're going to be speaking to them. They know it. You know it. You know, as soon as they leave the room, you close your eyes, you're done. They're taking you off or whatever the case may be. And you say to that person, you know, here, you know, you, you know where my will is. Here's the paperwork. You know, this is how much money I'm leaving you. And you're getting all the business stuff taken care of. I want you to, the second I die, go out and buy something really expensive with my money, what do you buy? <laughs> that was a big lead up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you buy if you get a lot of money? No, no, no. But it's, 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 it's death money, you know, from somebody you love. And they tell you to do it, which I don't know if that ever happened. I'm sure it has. But, you know, and I told this to my wife, and she did, did not go over well. But she did have an answer, which that I was not very happy with. You know, I, I told her, I was like, it's a trick question. You're supposed to take that money and make a scholarship fund in my name so my legacy can live on. Not go buy the diamond ring from D. Geller and Son that you want. That's $60,000. <laughs> so that's that was her answer, by the way. Uh, what, how would you answer that? Is it with your money or with our significant other's money? You said, yeah, but interesting. But let's just say it's like a half a million dollars or a million dollars. You know, there's a life insurance policy or something. There's a lot of money, you know, that you can go and. I mean, none of us. Yeah, here, but whose money is it? it? Well, it's going to be your money when when they die. So tell yeah, me, but who's it coming from? It's coming from them. It's their will. Yeah, but, but it, it still depends on who it is, though, because I would spend Nikki's money differently than I'd spend your money or spend Brandon's money. It's your it's 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 Alexis's. It's, that's why I said it's your significant okay. other. Okay, you're that's what I was asking. If, if it is ours or if it's you, it's it's the deathbed. Uh, yeah, deathbed. Your significant other says this to you. What what do you buy? Um, I invest in a company that can recreate humans and bring them back to life so I can save my wife that I just lost. Okay, so if she ever asks you that question, <laughs> give that answer. That's good. It's not true, but it's good. You know, that's that's the nice thing to say. But realistically, what would you buy? Strippers and cocaine. Strippers and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd probably buy a house or something or uh, a, a boat, something stupid. Yeah. Well, a house isn't stupid. A boat, not that oh, it's stupid. stupid. Not that stupid, but, you know. Mm. Uh, Brandon? 
Yeah, I was thinking I'd either get a yacht. That'd probably be the more sensible thing, or like a a bunch of ferrets. That'd be fun. Bunch of ferrets. Okay, something silly, but you'd want to buy just because you wouldn't buy it with your money, right? I mean, that's the question. What would you buy if it really weren't your money? Uh, but it's it's supposed to. You're supposed to like buy something that you're going to have for a long time that you're always going to remember that person, right? And then then you get to the point where you start to want closure. Because as much as everybody says, I'll never forget you, you know, it's part of recovering from death, right? The five stages of recovery or death or whatever you want to call it um, is you have to move on, which means you kind of have to forget them a little bit, right? You got to, right. that's, it's like, I'll never forget you, man. I'm going to get a tattoo of you right there on my chest. 15 years later, you're like, fuck, what did I do that for? You know, so people are kind of hypocritical like that. Nikki? I'd go get uh, this Louis bag that I just saw the other day that I'd never be able to afford and the shoes and wear it to the funeral. And then I'd lean over the casket and be like, I bought what you wanted me to buy. Look at my bag. I like it. All right. Ra- That's Ra- what I do. Originally, Rach said that too. So a bag. <laughs> not not the whole spiel that you did, but she yeah. said a bag. So that's that's funny you say that. That's so, what I'd buy. So I don't know. It's, you know, my w- wife is obviously, most people know she lost her husband uh, some years ago, Ariel's father in, in combat, he died in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, one of those two. So it probably wasn't the best question to ask her, you know. And she, she always tells me, she's like, if something happens to you, I'm done. She's like, I'm never going to be with another man. She's like, nobody's going to want to be with me. I'm a black widow. It's like, all my husbands keep passing. And I'm like, well, that's not true. You're going to find somebody. I was like, I got to make it to 55 in order to live longer. I, I really believe that for men, if you can survive between 45 and 55, you'll have a long life. Like, that's the window for guys for some reason. I don't know why. I just am seeing all my friends get sick, die, you know, recover, you know, and they're like 47, 48, 49. I'm like, what the fuck? You're not supposed to get testicular cancer at 48 years old. You're not supposed to die at 48 or 49 of cancer. You did nothing wrong in your life. Like, I know you. You didn't do shit. You didn't smoke. You didn't do drugs. You didn't drink. You never cheated on a woman. You never even said a curse word. Why the fuck are you dying before the age of 50 of cancer? A very painful last year of life. There is no excuse for it, right? Where were you born, God? Why are you making this guy go away? Where were you born? <laughs> so uh, I think that if you get past 55, uh, that, that you'll be able to survive. All right, podcastthebs.com. That is our website. We thank you so much, everybody, for, for supporting the podcast, the show, uh, our sponsors especially. We've got some new sponsors that are about to join us uh, for the podcast. Uh, I just uh, signed up. Uh, Nick uh, and Andrew with Inspect All Services. They're a phenomenal co- uh, country, a country company, and uh, they they're like one of those companies that do it all. You know, they do the pest control, they do the critters, they do gutters, they do pressure washing, they they do it all. You know, and they're the nicest guys in the world. We had lunch, went over to Norcross and met them for lunch at the steakhouse, and just just fantastic dudes, really really good guys. So I'm very happy that they're on board, and we've got some more. I know some people want to join the fantasy football show that's going to start uh, the week of the season, which I think is the first week of September, with me, three time Super Bowl champion Randy Cross, and fantasy football expert Jeff Bogus. I have come up with a name for the show, by the way. Ooh, what is what it? is it? Yeah. The fantasy, uh, the fantasy replacements. 
That's Max snoring in the background, by the way. <laughs> so loud. <laughs> I can't hear it. The fantasy replacements. What do you think? I love what's, it. What's what's uh what what's it like a play on words for? Well, it's so the movie The Replacements, like mm-hmm. right, which is based off of the '87 uh, strike in the NFL with the Washington Redskins and the scab players came on. So you know me, I like to be self-deprecating. The last thing in the world I want to do with this fantasy football show is to come across as I know it all because I can't stand that. I don't know it all. Um, what? B- I know. Bogus. That, that was my problem. B- yeah, B- Bogus. I mean, uh, that was my problem in sports radio is th- that's what you have to do. You have to be a quote unquote expert. And I'm like, what the fuck makes me an expert? I can be an expert on music because I've been around it for so long and I've been involved in it in so long my expertise, I'm not an expert, but my expertise, there's a difference. I'm good at fantasy football. I've played for 25 years. You know, uh, I've won numerous championships. I don't know if that makes me an expert, but I can give you my expertise. Randy Cross is a three-time Super Bowl champion. That doesn't make him an expert in fantasy football, but the guy definitely knows football. And he gives a different perspective of why you should pick that guy for that week from a football standpoint, which I like. Bogus is the problem. Bogus considers himself an expert because he's run a very successful fantasy football website, fantasyfootballempire.com. And I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. His research is phenomenal. It's great. But there's a lot of things that he says that I disagree with. And as I've proven over time, I've been right and he's been wrong. Not to say there are things that I've said that I've been wrong and he's been right. So the idea is to kind of be self-deprecating of, like, we know what we're doing. We're replacing the guys that say they're experts with our expertise. That's kind of the play. I like it. So is that is that better now that I explained it? Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So the first one was the not, I text Bogus, I go, what about the not so fantasy, the not so fantasy know-it-alls? That's That was one other idea that I had. And uh, he goes, so right out of the gates, we're telling people we don't know what we're talking about. I'm like, oh my God, you remind me of somebody. It's a joke. <laughs> it's self-deprecating. It's it, People will get it. You know, It's he, he's like, well, so people aren't even going to listen. They're not even going to want it. All right, Bogus, I'll change the name. <laughs> like, <laughs> so when I said the replacements, he wasn't high on that either. Randy Cross was. Randy loved it. Because Randy's self-deprecating. Randy gets it. He gets my sense of humor. He knows how I tick. Bogus was like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I was like, like the movie, the replacements. We're replacing the experts with our expertise. You know, that kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's a it's football-related movie. And we're doing fantasy football. And everybody loves the movie. It's a classic. And da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. He's like... Uh, I'll get back to you. Let me think on it. <laughs> like, come on, dude. <laughs> so I text Randy and Randy's like, love it. And I text Bogus back immediately. I said, uh, you're outvoted. It's two to one. We're the fantasy replacements. We start the week of football season. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we record Wednesday night. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if there's a sponsor that wants to be a part of it, there's a couple of people that are interested. One actually inspect all pest services. They're going to be a sponsor. Um, I have a meeting coming up here actually this week with somebody that uh, possibly could be a title sponsor. Uh, so that's cool. Podcast imports too. We're so close. Uh, literally the, the they're, they're doing up the paperwork for the second part.
part of the night. Um, so we're just waiting for that. We're dealing with uh, agents and managers and and other agents and other manager and so so we're like really really close really like I'm and once we get that it just needs to be signed a check needs to be cut and we're ready to announce it and go on sale with tickets I will say once again premium two percenters you subscribers that pay the four ninety nine for all the content get your episodes early the giveaways like the Atlanta Grill Company sauces that are out there right now. We will be giving away every week tickets, including VIP tickets. Okay, VIP. To Podcast and Pours 2 to Premium 2 Percenters. You do nothing other than subscribe. That's all you have to do. That's all you got to do because I have your email. And then when I email you, check your email because you only have 24 hours to reply back. I've had that issue in the past. So it's going to be a hot ticket, an event, a night, uh, the time of year that you want to be a part of. This is going to be um, iconic, rememberable, memorable, not rememberable, memorable. Anyway, uh, merch store, uh, merch store is up there. Social media is up there. Please uh, subscribe to the YouTube page uh, channel if you don't mind. The Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, the TikTok. You don't stop. All that good stuff. Uh, if you'd like to do a hot dog challenge on TikTok and share it with us, I'd love to see how many fake hot dogs you eat. I know that's the new thing. I think I got 24 down. If you can beat that, <laughs> you're awesome. All right, Nate, you got anything before we get out? The opposite of not subscribing is subscribing. <laughs> Very good. And it's not <laughs> the same. Uh, Brandon. Uh, bring on the ferrets. Yeah, bring on the ferrets. You got to sing it, though. Like, bring on the clowns. Bring on the ferrets. Bring on the ferrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Nikki. Uh, God was born with a tank top on, Brandon. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know what? I think that might be a new shirt. Somebody's going to suggest it. Nate, you need to get on it. God was born with a tank top on. <laughs> Write it down. All right. As always, thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great, safe rest of your day. Talk to Bye. Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now. Please share, like, and support podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio. Now, get out of here.